0: Discover more compassionate relations with human beings, but how can we develop compassionate relations with the other creatures with whom we share this
1: planet?
2: There's an us before the wound, there's an us before oppression, and to me, pleasure is the way that we tap down into that.
3: This power seems inescapable. So did the divine right of kings. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Total Liberation Podcast. It is Mexi. And today I am releasing the audio of the stream that I did with Nick and Catherine, as promised, about the Depp Heard defamation trial, the just absolute ridiculous circus of a trial that has extremely uh, far-reaching and honestly pretty horrifying implications. This is part two of our conversation. If you missed part one, it is just a couple episodes back at episode 84, so you can check that out before checking this one out. I would also recommend uh, the video that Catherine did on this subject, which I will link below, as well as Princess Week's video, which we mentioned in the first conversation. And Nick will be coming out with a series of videos on this topic very, very shortly. Um, If it seems like overkill, honestly, as we discussed, the implications of this are huge. (laughs) Thank you. The <laughs> cat And, uh, yeah, just the, the frenzy and the amount of disinformation and just absolutely disgusting vitriol uh, associated with this trial is, is deeply concerning. So, uh, yes, I know that we have been making a lot of feminist content lately, which I am certainly not mad about, but, uh, moving forward, we do have some more environmental content, some more total liberation content. So stay tuned for that. But for the moment, this is certainly quite important. I apologize on the slight delay, we did do the stream a week ago, and I meant to put it out immediately, however, I have been working an absolutely ungodly amount, Um, I won't bore everyone with the details here, maybe we can talk more about that on the discord, but Yes, uh, just a ridiculous amount of work and then trying to squeeze in content creation on nights and weekends uh, in addition to this course I'm teaching. Uh, So it's been a lot. So I apologize for the, the slight delay. I also did want to edit down the audio because there is some repetition between the first conversation that we had and this conversation However, as you can imagine, I'm working on very limited time, so uh, there is some repetition and I do apologize for that, but I hope that you enjoy the conversation regardless. I have edited out uh, just a few a few parts so that it is more uh, listenable overall. I also got a new microphone, uh, so thank you so much for all the Patreon support in order to make that happen. Um, It is not out of the box yet, so I'm not using it in this episode, unfortunately. However, this may be the last episode with bad audio (laughs) on my part, so that's exciting. Again, I've just had absolutely no time (laughs) to breathe uh, or do anything this week, so uh, look forward to that in upcoming episodes. Um, I wanted to also shout out the new patrons. I wanted to say thank you to Amber, who is a new Patreon supporter. And I just think that's very fitting for this week's episode topic. Could it be the Amber (laughs) of the day? Um, Anyway, if you'd like to support the show, as always, you can become a monthly Patreon supporter and join our Discord server where we have bi-monthly political chats. You can do that at patreon.com slash total liberation, or you can give us a one-time tip or donation via PayPal on our website, which is TotalLiberationPodcast.com, or share the episodes with friends and family that goes a really long way, uh, and give us those ratings and reviews wherever you listen to us. So just before we dive in, I did want to read something that Echo actually shared in the Discord. They shared this article by Jacinta Nandi called The Worst Hoax Ever, and I just wanted to read uh, this first part of the article because I think it really encapsulates the absurdity of this trial quite well. So it reads, If you believe that Amber Heard and Johnny Depp were both abusive, that it was a toxic relationship, and that they were both as bad as each other then you have to disagree with the Fairfax jury's finding on the 1st of June 2022 that she is guilty of defamation. In order for her to be guilty of defamation, she has to be the abuser and Depp has to be the victim. And in order to believe that Amber Heard is an abuser and her much older, much more famous, much richer, and, it has to be said, quite a bit stronger ex-husband Johnny Depp was the victim, you have to be prepared to believe the following things. Number one, you have to believe that Amber Heard carried out a hoax setting Johnny Depp up for abuse just so that she could get a restraining order at some point towards the end of their marriage for no benefit to herself whatsoever. Number two, you have to believe that she carried out this hoax over years. Number three, you have to believe that she persuaded at least six co-conspirators to carry out this hoax with her, even to the extent of being prepared to support her by lying for her in court, for no benefit to herself whatsoever. Number four, you have to believe that all the bruises she took photos of were fake and that she ripped her own hair out. Number 5. You have to believe that she faked the photos, even though surely if she was painting on bruises, she would have no need to be faking photos. You also have to believe she faked all these photos, but didn't bother faking more. Like she was vengeful and malicious enough to fake photos, but not vengeful and malicious enough to fake a few more. Number 6. You have to believe she did all of this to get revenge on Depp, or possibly money, even though she was actually entitled to far more money than she settled on in the divorce agreement and even though you don't actually get extra money from your ex if they're violent. Number seven, you have to believe that the other co-conspirators who supported Amber's hoax plan would not be prepared to go to the press and reveal the truth about her evil plan, despite the fact that public opinion is so decidedly against her, and even after, in some cases, the friendship had ended. Number eight, and you have to believe that she pulled off this hoax, leaving no traces of any planning or coordination with the other co-conspirators. But the thing is, in order to believe Amber Heard's version of events, you just have to essentially be prepared to believe the following thing. You have to believe that a man you liked and admired might be an abuser. And end quote there. I just think that really, really lays it out. <laughs> they go on to say that's it. That's the painful truth of it. And I think that the vitriol that we're seeing is is just so otherworldly, honestly, And it really just comes down to that. Just not wanting to believe that this man might be an abuser. And of course, for the manosphere and the incel and the right wing, just wanting to uphold the patriarchy, basically, and the status quo, and just making sure that no man, no powerful man... Is ever really facing the consequences of his actions, never really having to take accountability for that, and I think that that is just really, really telling. Um, this article obviously talks about you know thinking that they were as bad as each other, both violent, both both toxic, both terrible people, and you know we talked last time about you know they might both be terrible people, but that this idea of mutual abuse, uh, as we explained in this episode as well, is really often not a thing. Um, And if you actually look at the details and the evidence presented in this case, it's clear that there was a clear pattern of abuse on Johnny's part, which was, you know, not replicated uh, remotely in the same degree on Amber's part. So um, I think even that is not, not a great framing of what's going on. But even if you did think that, this article says, then you have to think that the decision was a travesty of justice. And you are basically a herd supporter. So uh, check this out if you're interested. And otherwise, just please enjoy the second part of our conversation. I know a lot of people found the first part of the conversation extremely cathartic and welcomed and made them feel like they were, you know, less alone and, you know, not losing their minds in this, this cultural moment. So with that said, let's get into the discussion.
2: So I'm here with Mexi from Mexi, the YouTube channel, and <laughs> from Pink Spots. And yeah, we're gonna talk about the Deathhead trial today and we're mostly gonna talk about um just our experiences as survivors, ourselves, and hopefully create a sort of safe space for other people who have also been deeply hurt and like terrified from this experience so we can all kind of chat and have a cathartic therapeutic time we're also going to talk a bit about the dynamics of abuse and how this has impacted victims and the queer phobia and um yeah just I think that's about it <laughs> or basically anything that we have been thinking about when it comes to the trial, which has been a lot. So,
0: Yeah. And we would love to hear from all of you as well. As we go through this information, we wanted this to be kind of a cathartic safe space for us to all talk about mm-hmm. you know, how we felt and maybe even our journey through like discovering um <laughs> that we believe Amber heard because I know not all of us heard it <laughs> off that way. <laughs> so I just want to encourage people to talk to each other in the chat and also to send in comments and I'll try to um, keep track of some of the ones we might want to share towards the end. But yeah, we just wanted everyone to feel like this was a place you could come to talk. Um, most of our community is great, but in case any Deptford wives get in here, we'll be moderating <laughs> the comments that we'll Uh, If you see something bad, just, you know, be patient. Um, You can block that person yourself, but we will also make sure to, I'll make sure to block people as we go as well.
2: Yeah. And I also think it's important just to say why we're talking about this, because I've Mm -hmm. had some people push back and say that, that we shouldn't care about these celebrities. There's so many more important things to talk about, but the fact that this has been a six-week-long misogynistic dogpiling of Amber has like a lot of ramifications for broader society like the fact that this is taken over the internet that we've just seen non-stop litany of um, smear campaign against a survivor all of this has it doesn't just exist in a vacuum it has implications beyond just two these two individuals and everyone is listening. Victims are listening. Abusers are listening. Abusers are becoming vindicated. Victims are getting the message that uh, that they are going to be silenced. They're not speaking out. I've had so many people message me. And since I made my video about it and say that they are no longer going to speak up, they're no longer going to talk about their abuse. Because after seeing the way Amber was treated, there's even psychologists and refuge centers have spoken out about how people are contacting them and they're pulling out and retracting saying victims are pulling out and retracting their statements so this is having like real life deep um like loads of implications and also radicalizing countless people men's rights activists in cells are all weaponizing this case so I think it has like mass global implications that cannot be understated and that's why I think it's so important to discuss this
3: yeah. And I also shared, I don't know what people saw on my Instagram and on my Patreon, um, that people are really taking this like like abusers and just awful people like Kyle Rittenhouse are taking this and running with it and saying that the Depp win is feeling his own plans to file defamation suits. Uh, Marilyn Manson, we already talked about like, this is just the beginning. Um, I feel like defamation as a weapon is going to be The new thing going forward and just another way for rich, powerful uh, people, mostly men, um, to continue their abuse and um, for all of us to just fall fall back on the age old tropes of women lying, women being, you know, seductresses and and gold diggers and all the rest. And um, yeah, sadly, um, nothing changing. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we can all look back in retrospect on so many other cases and be like, wow, like, Catherine, you brought up in your in your video. Um, And just nothing changes because we keep we keep repeating the same shit (laughs) in real time. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. And I uh, I'm working on a video about the case right now and the kind of larger implications and a lot of the sort of behind the scenes things that work to create such a global anti amber hate campaign that worked effectively to influence a jury. And one of the things I came across last night is there are right wing uh, websites and resources that are now also encouraging people to use this depth blueprint um, to help white nationalists get away with hate crimes, and to target Um, to basically spread mistrust of mainstream media. So this is even, you know, it has huge implications for survivors, but it also has implications politically. We're talking about elections. You know, we're talking about juries. We're talking about all kinds of um, ways that this is helping to funnel people down the right-wing pipeline. So it is something that's very important to talk about. And I think, creating this circus around the trial was very effective in getting a lot of people to think that this, this just seems tawdry and I don't want to know about it. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's actually, I mean, this even, this even has implications for our, our first, um, our right to free speech, our first amendment rights in the U S. So this is a really, <laughs> really big deal, a really important case, but because the circus was created around it, people are either, You know, just fanatically believing that Amber Heard is this, yeah, conniving witch. um, Or people are just distancing distancing themselves from it as like this celebrity rich person, you know, circus that like has no implications on their day to day lives when it actually really does.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I guess it could be an interesting place to start. I'm glad that you brought up, Nick, about. How we, some of us weren't necessarily from the beginning, um, convinced that Amber was innocent and like that the initial kind of gut reaction to disbelieve Amber because, yeah, I think probably a lot of people could relate to that and I definitely found from the beginning that I, I mean, I was messaging Nick and Maxi and saying like, yeah, um, I don't know if I believe that Amber is telling the truth like Amber, the way that she's, um saying all of the like her her testimony of abuse feels very American and just like feels very fake and like all this stuff and um yeah just like really buying into seeing Johnny and seeing him as like really innocent and sweet and kind and charismatic and like really wanting to sort of feel protective over him and I think so much of that is really down to the conditioning that we've all had a whole life of empathy and being taught to immediately sympathize with this like poor man and then also like my own trauma and my own abuse and my own um court experience I think led me to be like oh well I didn't act like that when I was in court talking about my abuser I had a very different reaction so why um is she acting like this that's not like how survivors act and I think um a lot of people with privileged identities often assume that the way that we act is the way that everyone universally should act in these situations. And then I think a lot of it was the cool girl trope, of course, of like, I didn't want to be the nagging feminist who was really boring and going to bring up all these issues around it. I just wanted to laugh along with everyone else. And I think it can also be like I talked about in my video, just a defense mechanism to try and feel like, oh, um, I don't want to be have to face the fact that so many people have this much vitriol towards the victim, it's too much to handle It's too much to stomach, I'd much rather just accept that um, she's actually lying. And this whole hate campaign is justified, because it's really painful to acknowledge that people have this much hatred towards a woman from speaking up about her abuse. And so yeah, I can and I think also, it can be easier to victim blame and just think, Oh, well, why didn't she do this? Why didn't she leave? Why? Uh, she deserved it because she's annoying or she's insufferable. Or, um, you know, I listen to the audio tapes and I think, oh, well, she's like so annoying <laughs> in them. So, like, maybe she deserved it or whatever. I don't think these things are like conscious thoughts, but I think you can subconsciously think these things um, just to try and feel like you can distance yourself from those things actually happening to yourself as well. Like, um, I think, Nick, you talked about this before on Pink Spots about this idea of like if you follow the rules, like if you follow the rules I can avoid being abused and like this person was abused because they didn't follow the rules and um yeah and that can make us easy or made me think like victim blaming her um so yeah I just wanted to say that I definitely bought into the and also there's something about when you're watching which is why like following the media is so crazy because I was watching it while simultaneously reading all these comments on the YouTube channel, Mm -hmm. uh, on the YouTube pages that are like, oh, what a liar, she's faking it. And that immediately shaped how I was going into viewing it. Or if you already Mm -hmm. see the thumbnail and it's like, this is cringe or whatever it says, um, then like already my perception was warped to, to be viewing it in that way. And it was only when I was re-watching it when, once I'd actually like more critically been thinking about it or when I was having conversations with you two and you were making me um, rethink some of this stuff that I then was watching it through a new lens. And then I was like, actually, why have I been thinking like this? Um, so yeah, it's crazy how much like group think mentality or I don't know what the psychology is about <laughs> it, but how that shapes
3: us. Mhm. And I mean we brought up in the in the first conversation that we had about this I think that um you know Ben Shapiro of the Daily Wire spent uh, about $40,000 on anti-Amber propaganda. And so yeah, absolutely like I I was the same when I initially um came across all of this because that was the lens that I was seeing all of this through um was that she's a liar, was that none of this is true, was that um she's the abuser. Um and she's been masterminding this this whole time and yeah I mean like the comments everything of course like this group think it definitely shapes um, your perception of what's going on and I think in the circus what was really lost was the fact that this was a defamation case mm-hmm. it wasn't a criminal mm-hmm. case um, so the burden of proof was far far lower they only had to prove one instance of abuse that that happened. And I mean there's texts and you know audio of Johnny even admitting to those things, right? So it's clear that that happened at least once. Um and so I think what's being lost here is that like the jury just did absolutely not understand the assignment at all. Um and I do want to talk about like the differences in defamation. Um I don't know if now's the time for it, but I mean mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like when, when you look at the the actual evidence, right, because Johnny was claiming that this extremely vague op-ed that hardly anyone saw, that nobody really made a big deal about at all, um, you know, cost him all the stuff, defamed him in the public's eye. Um, and first of all, um, you know, one of the things that he was claiming, I mean, you know, for um, Pirate 6, that is not a thing that exists yet. It doesn't have a script. It's not there's no plans to make it. Um, So you can't claim damages on something that doesn't exist and that, you know, there's no plans in in the making right now. Um, And, uh, you know, looking at the evidence right? they had his agent come on, they had um, Disney people come on and talk about the fact that he was really ruining his own career. Basically, Um, I just shared that he's currently in another court case right now um, Mm -hmm. for allegedly punching uh, a crew member twice in the ribs in another drunken high tirade um he was known for showing up on set drunk high constantly late and when you're when you're late all the time on set like the crew people who have been there the whole time they've you know they they got there early they did their job now they have to keep working you know in order to finish what they need to finish that day they need to keep working late because you showed up late so they're all pissed off Um, He was apparently super belligerent to people. Like when he was drinking and high, he would get like really nasty, Um, and then apparently violent towards people as well. Um, So there's a lot of reasons, and you know, word gets around very quickly about these things. So um, there was testimony from people, um, his agent, people in the industry, people from Disney, being like, you know, there was a lot of things that made people not want to work with him at the time. um, Very reasonable things, Um, and so. He was not even really being considered for pirate six because it didn't, because pirates five didn't do very well. Um, And there were other pieces that came out at the, at the time as well that were um, I guess, more damning of his behavior and his career. So there's really no evidence that this op-ed was the cause of any kind of real serious damage to him. Right. Um, Whereas in, on the contrary, in terms of Amber, um, the statements that Waldman made, which was his lawyer, um, were extremely defamatory and they brought in social media um, analysts and experts to show that directly after the Waldman comments, there was a spike of millions of people on the internet just dogpiling Amber, putting hashtags that included Waldman's name. Um, So there was a very clear connection between the statements of his lawyer and the way that Amber was being publicly defamed. And there was also like her agent came in and talked about how um, after that point, she could no longer get any work, even though she had just done an, an extremely um, popular film, Aquaman 2 or whatever. You know, I, I don't I've seen it, but um, but, you know, so that was extremely um you know, like a big deal for her career. And she should have really gotten more work after that. Things should have looked up for her after that. And they didn't. And it's, you know, largely correlated with this defamation. So even like, not only was the the evidence of sustained abuse on her side, um, the evidence for defamation was on her side, which Mm -hmm. is what this case was supposed to be about. This is supposed to be a defamation case. Um, And again, all they had to prove was one incidence of abuse. Mm -hmm. And She also took her very vague op-ed, she took that to a top lawyer who they interviewed as well, who gave testimony. She took that to him prior to publishing it to make sure that she in no way could be sued for defamation. Um, And he cleared her, like he gave her advice and cleared the article before putting it out. So he, like, I I just can't, like, he was not defamed. He was not defamed by this vague op-ed if anyone was defamed it was her and that was the case that was what the case was supposed to be about and yet it all just came down to like no something's off about her no it was a mutually toxic relationship no there is you know it just Mm -hmm. the whole point of it just got completely lost um and yeah it's just really gross seeing the impact even you know i'm on social media i i look to see like which of my acquaintances and my friends liked the johnny depp i1 oh, post God. and it was so disheartening it was it was like <laughs> all these people that i was like you you know it was just but i but i feel like honestly people didn't didn't engage with it they just saw mm-hmm. the the cringe clips they were like oh you know they saw the comments and i just wanted to bring that up because i think that's one of the things that's most lost when this is talked mm-hmm. about and everyone's just like well they were mutually toxic it's like well that wasn't what sort of, it was about defamation and a they weren't but like <laughs> right uh, yeah yeah
2: (laughs) Yeah. how is it I just don't understand how is it physically possible that you can get sued for defamation when you write an article after it the case has been proven by a court of law and after you and even when you don't name the person like surely when something has been proven by a court of law at that point you should be able to speak about it I mean I think you should be able to speak about it anyway but especially after court of law so it's like it's Is defamation no matter how true it is? It just doesn't, it didn't make any sense to me.
0: Well, that's one of the reasons that he filed in Virginia is because they have some bizarre defamation laws there that worked in his favor. So they do apparently um, interpret defamation as even if it is true, if it was said with malice, then you can be found guilty of defamation, which is terrifying to Mm -hmm. think about. And again, that's why this case is so important in terms of freedom of speech, because that's what we're talking about here. You know, Amber wrote, um, an op-ed about her experience. She didn't name her abuser and she also didn't even detail the abuse that she received. What she detailed was how, uh, being seen, being known as someone who had been abused and had in some way confronted her abuser, by essentially all she ever did was file a restraining order and then file for divorce. So what's the most chilling part of this case in the research that I've come up with around the actual defamation suit is that the statute of limitations had run out on the... Original filing. And so, what they managed to do was what people need to understand is that they're not even actually defaming her over this article, even though that's what was named in the lawsuit. What they said to get the lawsuit approved was that she essentially had republished her restraining order by publishing this article. So, he's almost in essence suing her over her restraining order.
3: And not actually over the
0: article, which is even more chilling to think about an abuser can take you to court for simply filing and, and receiving a restraining order. Mm. The case is just the more you look into it, the more grotesque it is. I saw someone asked him, um, how is he allowed to choose the state? And... <laughs> He shouldn't have been able to. There's no reason. I mean, the abuse happened um, like they both resided in California. They were married in California. Um, He managed to they basically got it approved to be held in Virginia because uh, the Washington Post printers for their server are located in Virginia. But essentially, like he he just found a judge who would approve it. That's what happened. And, you know, mm-hmm. Amber tried filing to have the location change. And she stated, like, not only does it not make sense that it's here, but it's also an undue burden for me and all of our witnesses. If you think about most of their mm-hmm. witnesses were from California, at least mm-hmm. the like character witnesses, uh, they all had to go to Virginia to testify. Amber had to go live in Virginia for these like six or seven weeks in order to be at the trial. It just was from like nuts to bolts. It was just this most obscene uh, occurrence that never should have happened. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who are talking about her appeal are saying like she may be able to get it overturned simply because it never should have existed in the first place. Like there was really no reason this suit should have ever been approved. It Mm -hmm. should have never happened in Virginia. Um, on and on and on another reason he picked virginia is because they allow to televise civil mm. cases which is typically not allowed people are saying this might be the first case where sexual violence was detailed like testimony from uh sexual violence was actually allowed to be aired mm-hmm. nationally mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's just sick it's disgusting it's yeah. absolutely disgusting and we see why that that is not something that should be allowed to happen mm-hmm. um So, yeah, that was another reason that he filed there was because they he he pushed and Amber, again, begged, like filed and tried to have them not televise the trial. And she was rejected and he was Mm -hmm. able to televise the trial.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the chilling things that you put in your, your video, Catherine, was that, um, and this is true, like, you know, of a, of abusive people, right? Like, um, Amber had said that Johnny told her, if you ever leave me, I'm going to make sure that you think about me every single day of your life. Mm-hmm. Right. And having it televised, it's like, yeah, she will never no matter what happens, she will never live this down. She will never be able to go anywhere without people bringing this up. She will never be able to go on the Internet without seeing mm-hmm. images, videos, you know, like it's it's just going to follow her forever. And that's, I, I think, yeah, really chilling and disgusting. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I think that's one of the things that often like that scares you about um, being a survivor is that you become frozen in time that this thing like that was like a small part of your experience or maybe not a small part but still you don't want it to become the thing that you're known for and suddenly it becomes like oh like that person oh is that the person that was abused by blah blah blah, or that's the person that made the claims about this or that um and it prevents people from being able to speak up or wanting to speak up because you just become like that is like the main thing you're you're identified for meanwhile the people who well, the abusers like rarely become frozen in time like that they can go on to continue to make movies or do whatever or like get remarried mm-hmm. and um they're no they're not uh, like left in this permanent state of like the worst things that happened to you that you're trying to get like not be associated with becoming the things that you're known for like i i find even for myself when i go home to um where my parents live i yeah, one of the reasons I don't really like being back in that town is because I feel like that's what I'm known for. Like people, as much as I try to keep things like hidden and tell people not to tell everyone, obviously everything like spreads with, like wildfire when like when it comes to cases of abuse and things like that. So be, I just feel like um whenever I meet people, I bump into people, it's like, oh, that's the girl who uh, was abused by that man. That's like blah, blah, blah. And like then people always think about you in that way and that's it's just really frustrating because you there are so many other aspects to my personality and my identity and um that are so much more important and this was like just one of the experiences of my life and yet now that's what a lot of people think of and I can't imagine what that is like on a global scale like especially when you're trying to have a career and like every time you log on social media or you can't even use your phone for longer than a week without people reminding you of that um and yeah i i truly i really think that's like absolutely disgusting Mm
3: -hmm. yeah that's a really good point um and especially because like you know she has a one-year-old daughter now like she is Mm -hmm. trying to move on with her life like she's trying to just like go on and forget this and yeah um can we also just mention because the malice thing I found this so aggravating as well, like the the saying it with malice and the fact that they determined that Amber had said what she said with malice. <laughs> it's like, what does that even mean? What are the grounds? What are the grounds for determining whether someone is saying a thing with malice? I mean, it was such a vague comment um, that she made anyway. But also, like, if you're the victim of abuse, ongoing abuse, and then you're the victim as well of society's just mass humiliation campaign or whatever how could you say how could you even make a comment with with, about that that wouldn't be conceived as this is made with malice Mm -hmm. like of course you're you have you're upset about it you know i don't know it's yeah i just find that wild
2: yeah it's absolutely ridiculous um but yeah, I guess we could go on to talk a bit about the dynamics of abuse, um, mm-hmm. and if you are both okay with that. Yeah, so we all loved that Dr. Hughes had a, um, had a small moment within the trial where she was able to really go on about, talk about the dynamics of abuse and how the fact, like how so much of, um, the experience that Amber had had was like how a lot of the dynamics of abuse play out and like as a side note I think it's absolutely ridiculous that so little of the trial was actually any experts on domestic abuse or domestic abuse advocates were let into the trial to be able to talk about how these dynamics play out and give people like at least a baseline knowledge of how this stuff happens because I think like so much of the trial was predicated on whether uh, or not Amber was abused so surely there should have been more about like yeah like giving people an understanding of how this works but anyway so just a few of the things that dr hughes mentioned was about re-victimization and how the fact that um amber's childhood with her abusive family led her to then um be able to be re-victimized and it's very common i think they call it repetitive compulsion for you to End up getting into dynamics in later life that replicate the same abuse that you experienced as a child. And with Amber, with having a heroin addict dad, and I think like physic, who was also physically violent. Um, I loved that line that Dr. Hughes said where she was like, she, Amber learned that people who love her could also hurt her. And she learned that, um, like, yeah, to kind of normalise that someone can hurt you and still love you. And that's what we saw with Johnny. Like she was kind of like looking after him and he was hurting her, but he she still thought that was love. And I think that, yeah, when you're taught those things as a child, it like runs really deep. And I think it's also really interesting how there was so much emphasis on Johnny and his childhood and how his childhood led him to like his childhood abuse led him to get into this dynamic with amber but so little emphasis uh, was placed on how amber's childhood led her to be in this dynamic with johnny which again i think really speaks to this whole empathy thing of how we're taught to sympathize with the stories of men and their like childhood abuse experiences but if amber had talked about her childhood experiences it would probably have been used as ammunition for why amber is is now an abuser because she was abused now she's I don't know, or it'd be used as extra, an extra weapon to say, oh, this is why she's crazy because like her parents were crazy rather than being used to sympathize with her and all. Um, and maybe also because we kind of like normalize that women are abused so much that maybe it wouldn't have really given people much
0: sympathy. Oof, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think, yeah, we have this cultural narrative that, every bad man or man who does bad things has some broken little boy inside him and so we're all always on a quest to find that little boy you know one of my favorite bloggers um captain awkward calls this like the darth vader boyfriend (laughs) you know it's like oh i can see the good in him And that's like our cultural narrative around men is, is that there has to be good in them somewhere. And if we can just bring that out, you know, and that's like, instead of saying this person is, uh, regardless of what they've been through, they are causing harm. And, you know, we can talk about restorative justice, transformative justice. Like I definitely don't think people should just be thrown out. I think we should have mechanisms in place to rehabilitate people, but, that's not what we're doing when we're looking for the little lost boy. We're just looking for a way to say that this behavior is acceptable and to justify our turning away from it and turning away from that person's victims and our attraction, frankly, to bad men, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel, I mean, I'm sure Johnny Depp has the base of people who have loved him for a long time, but without being mean like I I just don't he's not he's not like a hot celebrity he's not making good movies he's not someone who really has even been in the cultural zeitgeist for a while in any relevant sort of way so I think he is a good example of like we are literally just bending over backwards to find some excuse for him to just be how he is Mm. rather do you know what i mean it's not even like he's someone who's who is like beloved and people just can't wrap their heads around who's like current i feel like this is this is how i felt about louis ck you know i felt just so betrayed because i've listened to his comedy and i always thought he was a feminist and spoke out about certain things but johnny depp has always been a violent person he's always (laughs) been known as a bad boy and yes people have some nostalgia for him but like name the last movie that was relevant that people loved that he did it's Mm. at least 10 years old if not more so this is more about our society's you know just general ability and desire to always be like we don't need to you know like men in general just get a pass That if they're ever bad, there has to be a reason that they're bad. And Mm -hmm. that reason thereby excuses all of their behavior. It's fine to look for a reason to say, okay, maybe this is a source, the root source of a trauma that needs to be addressed so we can get you to stop hurting people. But that's not what people do. You know, it's like Walter White syndrome Breaking Bad was supposed to be a critique. Of this, like, toxic masculinity and at this sense of male entitlement. And instead, he was like this blueprint for guys to think he was super cool because he had a nagging wife and cancer. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just, it's just, and again, that's why I like the Darth Vader analogy. It's like you can have a fucking like fascist who's literally like a genocidal maniac. But if at the very end of a trilogy, he takes off his mask and he's a little, you know, shriveled, like, (laughs) old man, and he says he's sorry right before he dies, then, like, everything's forgotten. And that's his redemption arc. And that's... That just is, as a society, how we function. Mm. And I think it's hard in this case. One of the most triggering things about this case is how many survivors have stepped forward to defend Johnny Depp. And a lot of people take that as proof that he must be the victim... But the sad truth is, is that in general, survivors are actually quite bad at identifying other survivors mm. and tend to identify with abusers more because mm. a lot of survivors have not processed their trauma for a lot of reasons, one of which being our culture does not provide good resources and support and structure to help survivors process their trauma. So it's... um. I I just feel I'm not trying to be mean to Johnny Depp unnecessarily, but I'm just saying like, I I just think it's really relevant because I feel if this if this level of support and this level of vitriol could happen on his behalf, it will happen for anybody. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And we need to be aware of that when we're reacting to things that we're hearing, whether it's in the news or whether it's a friend divulging something to us. We are gonna have this is just programmed deep into us that we're gonna have this reaction of like, "Well, was it really that bad? Well, what are his reasons for it? Well, what did you do to provoke it? You know maybe it's it people love saying things are complicated when it comes to abuse, mm-hmm. but they're not they're not complicated. Mm-hmm. they are complicated, mm-hmm. but they're not complicated in terms of like, no, this person was was abused. It makes us uncomfortable. That's fine. Mm-hmm. it's fine to be uncomfortable. It's fine for something to suck. It's fine. If you're upset that you have to stop watching someone's movies, or you have to stop talking to somebody, or your friend group might take a hit, and you have to reorganize how you do things, but it's not an excuse to tell someone that their lived experience didn't happen.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, well, I think it's going to be interesting, like, given that we know that Marilyn Manson is now, um, suing oh, his victims gosh. for defamation. I think it'll be very interesting to see how, um, Marilyn Manson is, uh, portrayed in the public sphere versus Johnny Depp. Um, because I understand what you're saying and, you know, maybe you're right. I, I kind of had the first impression that, um, Marilyn Manson would not be embraced in the way that Johnny has been because, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's such a like Weirder. fringe. Yeah. He, like he's not,
0: And I don't say that in a bad way. I'm also a weirdo. Yeah. I love his music back in the day.
3: Yeah. But he, you know, he's not someone that people can put up and be like, Oh, Marilyn's so sexy and Marilyn's So, you know, like, right um he wasn't so... a teen heartthrob <laughs> no, not at all
0: i mean mostly maybe for some people but yeah, yeah he doesn't. Yeah. he doesn't have that same cultural like he's not a yes. cultural icon in the same way
3: and he's kind of a, this dark figure that people are like yeah. oh no he's he's weird you know so i actually mm-hmm. i really do wonder like how his defamation suit will be received um and how um yeah, like Evan Rachel Wood will be uh, talked about in the public sphere. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think definitely uh, some big things that are being lost. And because you mentioned, um, you know, a lot of survivors siding with Johnny. And I think definitely part of that is probably, you know, the the repressed trauma, as you mentioned. Um, but I think also people don't have the information like people, you know, so much of Absolutely. what people so much of what happened um has been completely lost and you know like like we were talking about the dynamics of abuse are being completely lost right like nobody is talking about the fact that um you know his they had friends of his come up um a friend of his who he used, uh, Johnny used to be married to this guy's sister um talking about how extremely jealous and controlling he was way back then in that relationship like it's been Yeah when he
0: was 20 this him, yeah. Johnny got married when he was 20 to this woman and he was yeah. Doing the same thing back then, almost 40 Mm -hmm. years ago.
3: Yeah. Um, And they had uh, Ellen Barkin come in and talk about how he was extremely jealous, extremely controlling. Um, And so, you know, like just these patterns of abuse that happen over and over and over and nobody's really talking about them. Mm. You know, nobody's talking about the fact that Amber wasn't able to even take roles where she might have a kiss with another person, where she Mm. might be wearing a dress that was a little bit revealing, where, you know, like Johnny would look over everything and make sure that. Um, she wasn't showing too much skin. There was no sex scenes with her in it. There was no nudity with her in it. There was no And I want to um, interject
0: that Johnny testified to this. Yes. This is yeah. not even Amber's testify. Like <laughs> Johnny was like, Yeah, I consulted her on like what role she should take, what mm. clothes she should wear to mm-hmm. be taken seriously as an actress. And there's also email proof of yeah. him emailing his uh, I think like his agent and screaming at her. Because Mm -hmm. Amber did a movie where they ended up using a body double to do a sex scene because Amber refused to do it. Mm
1: -hmm. And Johnny
0: is like screaming at this agent that like that scene needed to be taken out because he didn't even want people to think that Amber had done it. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: So this is like, I just want to point out because some of this stuff, I think people are like, well, that's what Amber said. But a lot of this is actually from Johnny himself is saying this because he's not even aware that this is wrong. Yeah, like, yeah, he doesn't even know that this behavior is bad. He feels very justified in what he did.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, yeah, and others corroborate that as well, right? So, um, and and nobody's really talking about that and how abusive that is, like, and and how, um, you know, you brought up Doctor Hughes and like the mm. um, the things that were identified as markers of abuse, right? Um, and I think um the other psychologist also mentioned this, not Doctor Curry, but the other one, um that you know jealousy is a huge one right and Mm -hmm. then you know we already mentioned property damage like all of the things that johnny has done right um are huge signs are huge signs of abuse um and uh i mean you could just they are abuse i mean they are yeah they are people
0: forget that like property damage is abuse Mm -hmm. and people keep making jokes about oh yeah he really beat up those cabinets and it's like but that is actually considered Mm -hmm. abuse that is actually illegal in most states yeah. for you to do property damage, for you to be jealous in this way and controlling in this way, that is considered, legally considered abuse. Mm-hmm. And yet that's, it's all just put out there, like it's no big deal and it's a big joke. Yeah, yeah, we
2: can even see the audio uh, video on YouTube of Johnny mm-hmm. who's smashing those cabinets in the kitchen and then grabbing her phone and like smashing it. And um, that was scary to me. It was really scary, like watching right. that. It's like, imagine being in that room I would yeah I'd be really terrified
3: yeah and um I mean the the photos again I and I mentioned this last time as well but like the photos from Australia I believe where he had been up for three days on a bender and he wrote all of this batshit nutty stuff all over the walls all over the mirror in his own blood Mm. in dirt (laughs) like um you know like just take a look at this stuff, right? Like, I mean, there's just so much evidence to show that this person was not of sound mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I still see people talking about like, because that that incident was around him cutting off his finger. um, And I still see people being like, well, I I just don't believe Amber, because she just can't remember the exact timeline of events that happened. Like she can't remember exactly, you know, what happened first, the phone smashing or the finger cutting, right? Um, And they just completely ignore that. A, there's text and audio of him saying that he cut his own figure off. B, look at these photographs. Like, do you think this man was of sound mind? You're going to take his recollection of what happened on that evening versus hers, just Mm -hmm. because she can't remember the exact sequence of events. Like, he was so out of it that he wrote all over the walls, incomprehensible babble. There's Well, (laughs) misogynistic... Babble Uh, about her
0: being a slut. He literally calls her easy amber and all this other stuff. And even again in his testimony, his own testimony at the trial, he's saying I had to write some truths for her to see. Mm -hmm. And it's like so. Even in his own testimony in the trial, he is stating, standing by his statements that Mm -hmm. she was a slut and that she that it made
3: sense for him to write that stuff in his own blood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, it's like, and the point is moot anyway, because there's like, he, there's text and audio of him saying that he cut his own finger off. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just the fact that people are like, oh yeah, I just don't believe Amber. It's like, this man was, he was on a constant bender. Like, you believe right. what mm-hmm. he's saying? <laughs> she also said that
0: that incident was over 72 hours. Mm-hmm. He was abusing her for three days. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And you're supposed to remember exactly when certain things happen, when the person you're mm. with is delusional and mm. in a rage and things are happening over that long of a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just then, isn't how the human brain works. Right. And it's so unfair. And the biggest thing that shows that people don't even actually believe what they're saying is that if you watch Johnny Depp's testimony, he has no fucking idea what he's talking about. Mm. His lawyers must have prepped him And even with all the prep, he's falling into all he's like lying on the stand, immediately getting caught lying because Mm -hmm. he can't help himself. He's just like rambling on, saying whatever. He doesn't remember the details of what happened. And yet he's somehow all of his lapses in memory and all of his lies are fine and justified. But hers aren't like Mm -hmm. I keep seeing even in stuff that I'm reading that's pro Amber or that, you know, at least believes that Johnny was abusive people keep saying, okay, Amber lied. She lied. So did Johnny. And I'm like, Amber didn't lie. Mm-hmm. She actually never lied. Yeah. There's stuff that you could argue semantics. You could argue over small, you know, things. And there are some things that she misremembered or um, like that event, you know, she was saying, like, I remembered these two things happening. I didn't initially remember until I went back over my notes that they were the same day. Mm. So it's stuff like that. It's the makeup kit. Don't even get me started about the fucking makeup kit. Mm. <laughs> um, You know, people want to say like, oh yeah, see, she's caught in all these lies. And I'm like, but those aren't lies. Those are very normal things for um, an abuse victim to not fully have together because it's just, again, not how your brain works. Your brain doesn't mm. remember every single detail in chronological order. She even said like she thought an incident happened later And then realized afterwards that it happened earlier in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I think in my mind, I just wanted to believe that we had more uh, time before the abuse started. Mm -hmm. And so she, and I've done that a hundred times, you know, you just have this sense of like, Oh, things were good for this long, or, you know, something Mm -hmm. lasted this amount of time. And then you check your calendar or however you stumble across the detail And you're like, oh, my God, I just had a completely wrong perception of when of when Mm. this happened. It's normal for that to happen. So Mm. and I would give the same grace to Johnny Depp. You know, if he's talking about instances of abuse and and some of those details are a little foggy, but the, the main narrative is supported by evidence and makes sense. then you know, fine. But he's getting caught up in straight up lies like I never said that. And then they'll pull up a text of him saying that and then he just shrugs his shoulders. He doesn't care. He's Mm -hmm. not even like, oh, I was just caught in a lie. He's just like, well, that was a text that was supposed to stay private. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) And then his fans
0: are like, he's so clever, he's so funny, and like, Mm -hmm. he's really... He's just destroying Amber Heard's lawyer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and then she's (laughs) like, oh, yeah, like, I thought those two things happened on different days. Turns out they happened on the same day, which I corrected as soon as I reviewed my notes and found, you know, and found that out. And the lawyers, everyone's like, see, she's a fucking liar.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And it's just not a fair reading of what's like all the people who are like, I watched the trial and I even believed her. First of all, those people are almost definitely bots. Second of all, it's (laughs) like, there's no way that you actually watched a trial in any like, because I went in slightly pro Johnny, just having heard about the tape and been like, okay, yeah, men can be abused. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the time it got to his testimony, I was like, this guy's full of shit. Because Mm -hmm. he was just like fumbling all over the place. And then by the time Amber started testifying, I was like, I absolutely believe her, you Mm -hmm. know, but I also waited and then all of her evidence, everything, you know, there's like corroborating evidence all over the place, all of her witnesses made sense. And it's like, I just don't see how you could watch a trial in good faith and actually come away thinking that Johnny was the victim and not the abuser. I hate Mm -hmm. the mutual abuse rhetoric, but you know, at least I can understand someone not understanding how the dynamics of domestic violence work and thinking mm-hmm. that they were both abusive, but people who come out thinking he's just innocent just make no sense to me. Yeah. And I think that the sick truth is that if you look on Twitter, if you, you know, if you look at these posts that are pro dep, most of them in some way somewhere acknowledge that they do think that he hurt her, but that it was justified and she deserved it.
1: Mm, mm. and not
0: even for hurting him like not even for physical abuse and you see that like a lot of people are actually like he should have killed her and and yeah and it wasn't a lot of people are not even saying that she deserved the abuse like she hit him and so he hit her back they're saying she deserved the abuse for being um a shrew for being a nag, for being annoying Mm. for cheating on him this is another one
1: Mm -hmm.
0: the whole cheating narrative, I want to be very clear, if someone cheats on you, cheating can be used as a way to abuse someone. And I don't want to minimize that. But cheating is also not a reason to physically attack somebody or Mm -hmm. to rape them. I can't believe I have to say that in 2022. But here we are. It's not an excuse to do physical violence to someone. And also any claims, any, you know, people want to focus on this video of her and James Franco in the elevator. That was at the very end of their relationship, like right before she filed for divorce, maybe even days before. I don't remember the exact timing. But so even if she did sleep with James Franco, let's just say, and even if she did sleep with Elon Musk, let's just say this was at the very end of their relationship when she knew she needed to get out hmm. And adhering yourself to another powerful man who might be able to protect you, who has more resources than your abuser is a survival tactic.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm not
0: saying that's what she did, but I'm saying if it is what she did, I understand it. And I don't think that that counts against her in any any way. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm and also i'm saying that even if he was uh even if people believe that like her cheating was cause for him to abuse her which is fucking disturbing uh the the claims of abuse the claims of cheating are only like at the very end right before she filed for divorce so what is the excuse the rest of the time
3: yeah also there's evidence that johnny cheated on her <laughs>
0: yeah there's hard <laughs> so... evidence he did cheat on her
3: yeah he did yeah. cheat on her so, <laughs> so... Uh,
0: but that's like twice, okay. So. Yeah. And I I just think too, my last comment, I know I'm talking a lot. Um, I think like another big part of this kind of way that we view men, that's a problem. And that's feeding into this um, perception of Johnny Depp is that it's romantic for a man mm-hmm. to be jealous. Mm-hmm. You know, it's romantic for him to be so passionate and want you to himself and to like, be protecting you and want you to be home all the time. And I think that's really feeding into this as well. I think a lot of people are like, well, what's the problem? He was really wealthy. You could have just stayed home. And isn't Mm. it kind of romantic that he, you know, had these jealous feelings about you? Mm. And it's not romantic, folks. It's terrifying and it's exhausting and it's isolating. And Mm -hmm. I will say a big pattern for Johnny is for him to hook up with actresses knowing that they want to be actresses and then belittling them, right? And wanting them to stop their careers for him. Amber, Mm -hmm. he literally met Amber because he hired her to work on a movie, his movie. And she wanted to be an actress very badly. She was working extremely hard to be an actress. And he tried to take that away from her. And nobody seems to be commenting on that.
1: Mm-hmm. everyone calls
0: her a freeloader everyone calls her a gold digger. everyone says she got with him to uh advance her career which clearly didn't work um and no one seems to see that this behavior is disturbing and it's not romantic
1: mm-hmm. 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 yeah like and
0: yeah. in, in,
2: in any other context when you're like in a say you're the fresh intern, 21-year-old fresh intern and the CEO of the company who's like double your age. (laughs) Or the president
0: of the United States.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we're like, we can see the dynamic there, but or a lot of the time people still can't. But when it comes to this situation, it's like, oh no, Johnny is like really attractive and it's romantic. And so, yeah, they can't possibly see that um, she was the one that was the victim in this situation. It is just unbelievable to me that He has so much more power, so much more wealth, such an age difference, life experience difference, etc. And yet it's still seen that she's the one that's like conniving, concocted this whole conspiracy of abuse. Um, It's unbelievable. But yeah, going back to this this whole thing of um, like our notions of what a real abuser is, I think it's also... Yeah, not only have we had this like highly romanticized view of like jealousy, possessiveness and things like that. But I think we have such a racialized view of what a real abuser is like and a classist view of a real abuser. And that it's only like the domain of brutes and beasts and everyone can suss out an abuser from far away. And um, they are these like evil, inherently evil people lurking in the bushes and we know what they look like and blah, 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 blah. And interestingly, it seems that Johnny even has that view of abusers, not surprisingly, because when I was watching the video on YouTube where Johnny is um, defending Roman Polanski, he Mm -hmm. says, he actually says, not only does he say, oh, he's not an abuser, which he's a child rapist, he's definitely an abuser. um, But he also says, well, it's clear that um, he isn't an abuser because, I mean, he's he's not he's like an older man he's not like out on the streets so he makes some sort of comment like that mm-hmm. um and i think that was so indicative to me that like oh okay so like johnny really has this image or he's playing into this narrative that yeah the abusers is a domain of like these rough people on the streets that are going to grab you from behind or like whatever and um and when we know from the statistics that the majority of abuse does not happen like that, it's by people you know, it's by people you love. But yeah, I, it's such a red flag when a man doesn't understand that like, okay, yeah, he's like an old man, he has a family. Johnny said, oh, he has a kid and he has a, he has a wife, blah that that man can't then still be abusive. Of course, of course. Um, but anyway, I think as a culture, we have been fed like the image of the refugee rapist, the Muslim um, predator, the you know, working class brute or whatever. And um, then if uh, if we see someone who's charming and likable and attractive, it's like, oh, they can't possibly be an abuser. Um, or if they were abusive, it's like romanticized, it's romantic and whatever. And yeah, and like th- this whole conversation is like deeply, deeply damaging. I think it has like massively terrible com- um, like implications for how like our culture is now thinking about abuse after... See, seeing this like narrative on such a global scale because um, it completely depoliticizes the conversation because it just makes abuse out to be like the domain of like individual evil inherently evil people there's nothing we can do about it rather than it being the systemic patriarchal issue that is deeply ingrained in the majority of men to be conditioned to want to dominate control and be violent towards women and um that like no matter how charismatic and likable and talented a person can be a man can be he can still he's still often deeply conditioned with these um proclivities and so i think it's really damaging that this whole trial has like has um reinvigorated this whole narrative of what like a real abuser is like because mm-hmm. it's also like really gaslighting because a lot of victims like myself I, with my abuser, always invalidated my own experience because I was like, oh, um, he's not like this textbook villain. He's very likable. He can't be an abuser because he's also nice. He's also got these other characteristics that are good. And and so a lot of us end up not speaking up or invalidating our own experiences because we don't, like the people that are abusing us aren't like these images that we're constantly fed. And then we know that we're not going to be believed as a result. And then we're also yeah, telling ourselves, oh, I can't really be abused because and a real abuser is X, Y, or Z. And also this whole narrative then feeds into like more and more marginalised people being the ones that are locked away and whilst the abusive, powerful people or um, people with more privileged identities get away with it because, yeah, it just feeds into the constant narrative of like ableist, classist, racist etc narrative of like what an abuser is like which then leads them to be more likely to be incarcerated and um yeah it's just um yeah it's very it's very frustrating it reminds me of that angela davis um quote of how like prisons or the criminal justice system um, disappears individuals it doesn't disappear systemic issues i butchered the quote but (laughs) it's something like that um yeah, so I I really think we need to get rid of this whole idea of the real abuser. I constantly see stuff online about, oh, um, yeah, but his friends say that he's such a nice guy. Or I saw like a post that got so many likes of um, this woman who was like, I worked on um, with Johnny on Pirates of the Caribbean and he was one of the nicest like people I've ever worked with and blah, blah, blah. And it's like a lot of the time, the most abusive people will try extra hard to... Be seen as likable and actually do even more than most people to appear like so such a good person in order to offset any kind of any kind of um idea that they could be abusive people and it's like you know the classic cliche is the the priest or the church going man who's secretly locked away their child in the dungeon or something and it's like yeah they they would deliberately be the community man be the church going man or woman in order to seem extra likable. And so I don't think, I think we need to get rid of this narrative that like no matter how nice or whatever a person can be, they can also be abusive. And no one is abusive all the time. Okay, maybe some people are, but it's not likely that someone is abusive all the time and to everyone. Also, I'm getting really annoyed by, (laughs) sorry, I know this is a rant, but I'm getting really annoyed by people who are saying, oh, he was never abusive to like previous partners Uh, because like one, he was, And secondly, it's like, yeah, it can also be perfectly possible for someone to be abusive, to have never been abusive before, and then suddenly become abusive. Like, that is a thing that also happens. Um, Especially when they
3: have like a midlife crisis at the same time that that they've gone, gone completely out of control with drugs and alcohol.
1: Yeah, that'll yeah. <laughs> do it to you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you have a beautiful young bisexual wife whose yeah. career is taking off in the same industry yeah. that you're in. That will definitely trigger. And an you're escalation. feeling like an old
3: loser who no one wants to work with anymore. And yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. exactly.
3: <laughs> yeah, and
0: I just what you're saying. I just have a quick uh, interjection. What you're saying, Catherine, is so true. And one of the things that bothers me in general, is how people don't see when someone is like, very charming, that that can be something to watch out for. Mm. You know, with you, we kind of talked about this on the podcast, but with Johnny coming, um, just with all of Amber's family and all of Amber's friends just coming on so strong, lavishing them with gifts, you know, being like brother, you know, like calling people in and, and making them feel like part of his community right away. People don't get it that that can actually be an abuse tactic that can be a way to, as you were saying, get people on your side
1: mm-hmm.
0: so that when your victim tries to go back to their support circle to get away from you, to get support for the abuse that they're suffering at your hands, those people don't believe you. Those people don't want to believe you. Those people mm-hmm. may side against you and now you're alone. You know, and it's very hard. I mean, one of the most heartbreaking things to me with this whole trial was watching Amber's former friends testify and seeing how traumatized they were and understanding that I think that they I think her friendship with them all fell apart because of the abuse. Mm. It's an extremely stressful thing to go through. It changes you. It changes the people around you. And I'm so like, I love these people so much, even though I don't know them for showing up for her and testifying on her behalf multiple times, even though they're no longer friends. Um, Somehow people are saying that makes them less reliable witnesses, too, which makes no sense to me. It's like they literally have no reason to testify on her behalf. Mm -hmm. Um, But You know, it's it's just very heartbreaking. And I think that's it's proof of like what happens in situations with abuse. A lot of times by the by the time you finally get out, even the people who supported you, there's just something that happens where you're all just so exhausted and so traumatized that it just Mm. sort of falls apart. And it's just extremely isolating. Mm. So I just want to put that out there because people are always like, Oh, I met this person once and they were so nice to me. They were like, unbelievably nice. Like they were so generous. And it's like, okay, yeah, it doesn't I don't want to pathologize that. But it's also like that can be a warning sign that you know, that person is That person has a a public image that they're working extremely hard to make bulletproof in case something else happens. Mm -hmm. And also like someone can be very great in in very limited situations if you don't know them in like a lot, like if you haven't seen them in different circumstances, you're not getting a full picture of that person. But people will literally be like, oh, I jumped, I bumped into the celebrity at the airport and we talked for 30 seconds. And now I know who they are as a human. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's just not how people work, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whether yeah. good or bad, you know, you hear that too. People are like, this person was so rude to me. And it's like, they're a bad person. And it's like, you don't know what was going on in their day. And you're just some mm-hmm. random person who ran, ran up to them. Like, you can't talk about their character from a quick interaction.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and read the friend thing, because um, it's like, I'm sure, I don't know, I mean, this has definitely happened to me many times where like, you'll have a friend, um, or even like, you know, in some relationships that I had that like, were not great, but like, I kept going back and kept going back and kept going back and kept going back um you know like the dynamic that happens between friends is that like yeah if someone is telling you all the time about like or, or do you know that this person is horrible and this person is being you know that your friend is being hurt and they keep going back they keep going back they keep going back um not only is it exhausting for you but eventually like the friend will stop um will, will distance themselves from you because they don't want to hear your judgments about it they know that you don't support the relationship they don't you know and that that was me as well, like when I was in you know, a relationship that like it wasn't like horribly abusive or anything but like um, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't great. It wasn't a good dynamic. Um, and I, I kept going back. I kept going back. I kept going back. Um, and eventually, yeah, like I would just distance myself from the people who would judge me for that or I just wouldn't tell them anything about it. I would just like keep seeing this person in secret I just wouldn't tell them anything about it. Right. So it, it makes sense that like over time that erodes your friendships. Right. Um, but I just wanted to read um, these f- few tweets that Kara shared, actually. Um, they, they aren't from her, but um, she shared them. Cara, what we had on the last stream. Um, and uh, because, yeah, you'll hear this. We, we talked about the, the mutual abuse thing on the last podcast. So I don't want to go into it too much, but um, I think that's, one of the things like, um, probably the best case scenario is that people who haven't really engaged with the trial that much will say that, well, they, yeah, they were both toxic. They were both abusive. They both lied, um, and blah, blah, blah. Um, but we just want to hammer home the idea that like the, the dynamics of abuse are not such that, um, that mutual abuse, really usually happens. And if you look at the evidence of this trial, there was ongoing and sustained, and that's what one of the psychologists said as well, that when we're talking about abuse, we're not just talking about like a few incidents of maybe some physical violence or, um, you know, words or whatever, like it's it's an ongoing sustained pattern of abuse um, that is done over a long period of time to maintain control in a relationship. Um, and we see that the evidence shows very strongly that 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 happened um, in terms of uh, Johnny Depp, and then there were obviously incidents where Amber did hit back, where she did, um, you know, say verbally nasty things to Johnny and whatever. Um, but we really can't equate that with like the ongoing, sustained pattern of abuse. So I just want to read this um, these few things. Um, so someone says survivors sometimes provoke. They feel it's coming anyway as a way to have some control over when, how, and how severe it will be. Quote, well, I knew it was coming, so I wanted to get it over with before my sister's wedding so he wouldn't make a scene. End quote. It's part of an elaborate safety plan that unless you've been up close and personal with, it's very difficult to see and understand. Mm -hmm. Um, Some victims of abuse are diagnosed with personality disorders while in toxic relationships. But when they leave those relationships, they don't show any signs of it. We sometimes pathologize or sometimes accidentally pathologize reactionary behaviors, which can be a disservice to the victim. And that's relevant. We're going to talk about the ableism soon, I believe. But that's relevant because, um, you know, the Dr. Curry said that um, Amber had borderline personality disorder, um, which none of her other practitioners had ever diagnosed her with. Um, You know, like uh, none of her psychologists or psychiatrists had ever brought that forward. Um, but I also did want to say that if, if she did have, um, borderline personality and have traits like, like, borderline traits, um, you know, Dr. Curry was saying that, like, one of the things, um, that would be really triggering is somebody, um, basically just, like, pulling away from you and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, threatening to leave or, you know, like, you're in that, like having those traits i think you are much more vulnerable to abuse and the fact that he would always like go on these benders just leave for weeks on end she would never know where he was right like these are all very triggering things to that to someone who would have that personality i I, i'm not even saying that she has it but even if she did i mean i feel like that would be even more evidence or like more that that would Show even more like how devastating um, the dynamic with Johnny, Johnny was, and why she would be so desperate to stay in that relationship, even though she was being hurt so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one is: uh, abusers are not antisocial weirdos; they're often popular, which helps them delegitimize their victims. That your favorite actor, your favorite guy on leftist Twitter, your friend's boyfriend who makes everyone laugh—they avoid accountability with clout, and this needs to end. So that's just reifies what what you all been seeing but yeah
2: yeah absolutely and I also think there's something to be said about how I guess we're so conditioned to um like think that mediocre men are like the most amazing beings in the world that I think like even the most mediocre characteristics um can be Taken as these like incredible like evidence of how incredible they are. Like the, the I, like the, the amount of clips that I've seen on YouTube of, um, oh, Johnny is so funny. Johnny is so, it's so like nice. Look, he's picking up a pen or whatever for Camille or like what a chivalrous man and blah, 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 blah. Um, and all of these things, it's like the most mediocre characteristics are taken as like, oh, this is mm-hmm. such an incredible, like person that this is. So I think we're also just so deeply conditioned to just yeah pounce on any like possible good characteristics. And then also, like any slight character flaws, even no matter how minuscule that a woman possesses, it's like then immediately taken as like the worst possible thing ever. Um, I also wanted to mention that I think like a lot of people were taking the fact that Johnny, uh, there are like clips of Johnny leaving the room as evidence that um, Amber was abusive because Amber was following him why would Amber follow him if she was the abuser etc if she was the one being the victim in the situation but I think Nicole I don't know if you want to speak on this because I you were the one that made me aware of this um, just of, of the fact that like because there is that dynamic of an abuser like, always leaving when and never being there to be accountable to someone who's like, after they've done the damage, then, of course, it makes sense that, um, yeah, she would want to leave in that situation.
0: She wouldn't want him to leave? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a few dynamics at play. So one is a method of abuse is to pull your love away from someone when they say or do something you don't like. So we heard from Johnny himself that he would often want to leave if she started to get on his case about uh, how much he was drinking, if he had his, um, as Rottenborn calls him, his drug friends over, which <laughs> is such a funny, like, boomer <laughs> thing to say, your drug friend, Paul Bettany. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if he would have, like, Paul Bettany or Marilyn Manson or whoever else he would, like typically do copious amounts of drugs with, you know, she would get upset
3: mm-hmm. and he
0: would use this as justification uh, to leave. Um, And just, you know, whenever they would get into some kind of argument, if he if he got mad, you know, whether not even to put onus on whoever started the fight or what happened, but it seemed to be a pattern that anytime they would get into any kind of argument, And you can hear this on a lot of the audio tapes that he will try to leave um, and she will be trying to resolve the argument. And then, you know, he wants to go. So that is a way to train someone that if you say something I don't like, if you confront me on my behavior, if you Mm -hmm. try to have a conversation about a relationship. And, you know, I do believe that maybe Amber didn't have good communication skills and that she wasn't able to navigate Um, conversations in general and conflict in general, maybe in the healthiest way. I think that's probably true. Again, she was 20 fucking three when they got together. She was still extremely young and she had been abused her entire childhood and still had a relationship with both of her parents who stayed together, even though her father abused her mom. So there's, a, you know, as someone who's had to do a lot of work on my own communication skills and interpersonal relationships, I think it's quite likely that she was probably panicky or clingy or uh, maybe got angry too quickly or whatever. But we also have to understand, and you can hear it on the tapes, she's dealing with someone who half the time isn't in his right mind,
1: mm-hmm. who's
0: jealous and accusing her of things and who's pulling his love away from her anytime she tries to say, you're hurting me or we need to work on something. So, I just want to say, like, that's abusive. Um, It's okay to need a break in fights. Like, that is okay. And that can be a healthy way to deal with conflict. But it's not okay to just take off on someone the second they say something you don't like. Um, And then the other dynamic at play is that a lot of times when he would disappear, this is when he would break his sobriety. So he would be sober for a period of time, things would be getting better and then something would happen and she would know she started to pick up on the signs that he was going to break his sobriety. And again, it could be that he was going to go hang out with certain people that he suddenly just needed to take off by himself for no reason. And she would know he's going to go drink. He's going to go do drugs. And when he comes back, I am, I'm probably going to get hurt. You know, like he's, he's going to be not in his right mind. He's going to be abusive and this is gonna start another pattern of abuse. So a lot of the times as well, when, when they play the tapes of her begging him to not leave, it's because she knows he's about to go on a binge and that mm-hmm. they're gonna to have to do this entire cycle all over again.
1: Mm-hmm. So I
0: think those things both are very important to, to keep in mind. We're not only dealing with someone who is dealing with abuse in Amber, we're also dealing with someone who is dealing with an addict. And mm-hmm. as a child of an addict, I can tell you you do like you you do become aware of their patterns and you do become so desperate because your relationship with them is built on you believing that they'll stop and that things will get better. So every time it happens it almost feels like the first time all over again. Like you're just as shocked, you're just as upset. But you also get weary right underneath that there's all the experiences you've had of this person breaking their sobriety and whatever behavior follows that so you just you know part of like this is kind of like a soft um this is like my opinion but as someone who has was raised by an alcoholic like some of the stuff she said to him some of the mean stuff she said that's being held against her i get it like you just deal with someone. I mean, everyone has to understand this is a man who has so much power and so much wealth. And yet she's also seen him shit himself. And you do just get to a point where you're like, you may because I've heard a lot of um a lot of survivors online were using this against her as well, that they're like, I would never antagonize my abuser or I would never like, demean them, or I would never say these things about them. And it's like, okay, I believe that. I believe that that was your experience of abuse. But for her, she's also tending to someone who literally is not like conscious of his behavior or his actions or his body a lot of the time while this abuse is happening. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to build up this sense of disgust and to kind of like look down on that person And I hope I'm being clear. I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything bad about addicts. Um, I'm just saying, like, I can understand the dynamic when you've dealt with someone and you've literally cleaned up like their shit and their vomit (laughs) and their piss, that even if you're afraid of that person, you also view, you kind of like infantilize them because you see them in these situations where they're just not in control Mm -hmm. and you have to take care of them as if they're a baby. So to me, her disgust with him and sometimes the things she says to him, actually, in my head are are actually evidence that she's telling the truth, Mm -hmm. because I understand how that dynamic can build. I felt that way with an abusive ex as well, who is not physically abusive, but was very similarly compulsively jealous the way that Johnny was. And, you know, I he never hit me, but I was afraid for my life almost every day and I had that weird dynamic with him, too, where sometimes I would see him for the small, insecure person that he was. So I would be like simultaneously afraid of him, but also just like disgusted and have no respect for him, you know, Mm -hmm. and just feel like you're so small, you know, you're Mm -hmm. doing this to me because you're so fucking pathetic. Mm -hmm. So I get how that weird dichotomy can happen. Mm
1: -hmm. And again, it's
0: just one of the nuances of abuse, and I think particularly abuse from an addict that... Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of times when he was helpless and, he, you know, he's been violent towards her and now she has to literally mother him and take care of him. And mm-hmm. there's really something that really fucks with you psychologically.
3: Yeah. And like you mentioned before, it's also like a, a reclaiming of some level of control, right? Like yeah, it's just some exactly. level of like, no, you're the one that's a piece of shit. Like you don't get to do this to me all the time. Right. Exactly. Um, or the, the provoking thing that I just talked about um, when I read the tweet or whatnot. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that you um, brought up the leaving thing because someone did comment on the podcast about that, like, if you know, if it's a tense or it could be a violent situation, then, you know, leaving is actually can be quite a good yeah. thing. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that person's an abuser, um, which like, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think what we're talking about is just the the consistent leaving when it's not in that situation, like it, just pulling the love away, like doing the love bombing and then pulling away, mm-hmm. um, which is really fucks with people's head. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's it does really fuck with you. Yeah. And, you know, I agree. Like, yes, breaking. I think that's why it's important to, like, listen to what she's saying, too, because there's one tape they kept playing in court and she kept saying, if you need to leave for an hour or even three hours, that's fine. She's like, but you're going to leave and I won't know when you're coming back. You may Mm -hmm. not come back for a week. I may not hear from you. I don't know if you're dead. I don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So this is also a case where it's not someone saying, listen, I feel like things have gotten really hot. I think yeah. we need to take a pause so we can cool down. Maybe we need to call our um, couples counselor and have them mediate this conversation. Or we need to call a friend or whatever it is, or write letters to each other. However you want to de-escalate and try to resolve and communicate. But this is him literally taking off and she doesn't know when he's coming back. She doesn't even know mm-hmm. if they're still in a relationship. She doesn't know if he's fucking someone else. She doesn't know if he's doing drugs. She doesn't know if he's OD'd. She literally doesn't know where he is or when he's coming back. He wouldn't answer his phone. He wouldn't communicate with her and he'd just be gone. Yeah. So that's, that's much different than someone like needing, needing to take a breath in a a fight, which I can completely understand. I'm autistic. I get overwhelmed. Like I can definitely understand needing to take a minute in a fight because you just have gotten to a point where you can't think or communicate anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what was happening here.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, um, I think we can move on to talking about some of the ableism of mm-hmm. the case.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: firstly, I think I've, we've talked about this before, so I'll only briefly talk, uh, mention it. But I think there is so much ableism in how people are treating Amber and and talking about what a real victim or a real abuser is like because there is no real way to act like people some people cry some people don't um some people are angry some people aren't like within and they are courtroom without and outside of the courtroom when you're in the abuse dynamic there is no one way to act i talked about on the podcast when i was in the courtroom i was when i was giving my testimony of sexual violence I was laughing sometimes, like a little, like laugh, a little smile. I wasn't crying. I was pretty, like, unemotional aside from, like, smiling and laughing. Um, because that's my, like, I don't know, defense mechanism when I feel anxious or nervous. I often just start start smiling. And it's also, like, a trauma response because I think it feeds into that whole idea of fawning that when you're Mm. in, in a, like, afraid situation, my, when I'm with abusive people in general, um, I'm often like smiling and laughing. It's like a way to like placate them or to act like I'm a little puppy. Um, please don't hurt me. I'm just like trying to be sweet and nice. Like, <laughs> um, I, and like trying, you know, rolling over on my back and like waggling my tail and my paws. <laughs> like, it's, um, I don't know. It's just always been the immediate response, um, to when I'm like feeling activated or, yeah, anxious or nervous or whatever. Um, so like, and a lot of people would take that and be like, oh, you're smiling, you're laughing. That's just like no one would do that during um, giving a, a testimony like that. And there are so many victi- victims that are commenting on YouTube videos and saying like, oh, I, I'm a victim and I can't possibly talk about my experience without like bursting into tears and stuff, which may very well be their experience, but isn't everyone's experience. And like, um, there is just like, no how much nice way to act. And yeah, as an autistic person as well, we often don't have the socially expected emotional responses in situations and often my emotional response to something doesn't ha- occur until like years afterwards decades afterwards <laughs> yeah.
0: then i'm suddenly I like. Was oh, say at least weeks after but yeah, <laughs> yeah. sometimes
2: years <laughs> yeah exactly and um yeah and so i think it can be really dangerous that we like perpetuate this idea there is one single way in which um someone acts also it's so like Yeah. Anyway, Um, also like she
3: was crying, but like she cried at the places, but not at the right times. Yeah.
1: Okay.
3: (laughs) I I, I think she cried at places that made sense. But then it was like, oh, look at these fake crocodiles here. You know, it was just like this is ridiculous. She looks. She's just putting this on. You know. So it's like, well, how? What is she supposed to do? Anyway, continue. Yeah. Go away. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. And I also wanted to talk about this whole like nightmare of, on one hand, Dr. Hughes saying that um, Amber had PTSD, and then Dr. Curry saying that Amber had histrionic personality disorder and the bipolar disorder. And there is such a Borderline. massive history. Uh, sorry
3: borderline not not bipolar. oh
2: borderline yeah. sorry borderline and yeah there is such a history of women's mental health being used to silence them that goes back like um centuries into the past um with when it comes to historic the history of histrionic personality disorder um i wrote down like some stuff that i read earlier apparently in the fifth century bc Hippo. Hippocrates was first to coin the term hysteria, which he said was wandering womb, came about from a wandering room, womb and believed that sexual activity increase was needed in order to solve the situation, but obviously only within like the bounds of like marital norms, like within your marriage. And then in 280 AD, it was still believed that more sex was needed. Um, and like throughout history, it seemed to be like, like more sex was the way to solve hysteria. And it, eventually hysteria came to fully be thought of as a mental illness, and not necessarily associated with uh, like a sec- anything that related to sex or reproduction. Um, but still, the concept hysteria of hysteria has been something that's like hugely sexist that's been used to pathologize very normal expressions of anger or frustration or emotions outside of what is seen as like the normal ways in which women should act, aka being passive, compliant, always sweet and nice and soft and whatever. Uh, and has been used to completely invalidate like the experiences of women. And, yeah, it's not just with hysteria. it's with any of these terms, whether well, mentally unstable, bipolar, all of these things have constantly been used to silence victim like uh, victims and women, like the amount of times that women have been locked away into mental institutes um labeled crazy or mentally ill back in the 19th century, you could be locked into a mental asylum for standing up to a domineering husband for speaking out for being for trying to have more independence, like throughout history, it, it's always been that victims and women have been locked away in mental institutes, asylums or silenced um, by being labeled as like mentally ill. And um, rose mcgowan um with harvey weinstein that they apparently it was like leaked that the lawyers tried to make a plot to seem her to make her seem quote-unquote increasingly unglued um to try and like to try and make sure that she would not she would be displeased and it's like just a constant thing that is constantly evoked that const that lawyers constantly try and use and not just lawyers but with we have within the criminal justice system outside of it people constantly use to invalidate women and their experiences and to silence women um so the fact that this was brought up in this case is so telling and the fact that it was all about her how she was mentally unstable bipolar etc but nothing was said about how like johnny's monstrousness how he called himself a monster how he cut off his own finger how he was unstable how he said he was flesh flesh hacking uh, it, all of these things ha- how that what that meant about his mental health and whether he was mental, un- mentally unstable and there wasn't any kind of um like mental diagnosis of him but everything was focused on her and like how hugely sexist um that truly is and yeah, I don't know. I just think, again, this being this happening on such a global scale and such a in front of such a o- big audience, is just like completely reinforcing the notion that this is an acceptable thing to do to women and that like victims in general, are often just like hysterical, and it's probably going to lead to countless more women when they're speaking up or when they're not doing exactly what uh, people want them to do to be labeled as mentally ill in order to silence them. Um, and I think it's, yeah, pretty disgusting.
0: And it's pretty shocking that this is happening post-Britney. hmm And, like, still was
1: accepted.
0: Although, to mm-hmm. be fair, a lot of... There is a lot of pro-amber support rising online. I think the bots have been... Um, I think they're not, like, astroturfing anymore now that the trial's over. So it seems like pro-amber sentiment sentiment is allowed to, like, be more visible now. Anyway... Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I've seen from a lot of people who are like, how, like, how did you change your mind from being pro Johnny? A lot of them are saying that it was Dr. Curry's testimony that made them be like, wait a minute, what the fuck? You know, mm-hmm. with her talking about, um, borderline personality disorder and especially histrionic. I think that was a bad move mm-hmm. on their part mm-hmm. to say histrionic because so many people are like, that's not even a diagnosis that people use anymore because it's
3: so blatantly sexist Mm -hmm. yeah because like yeah like the hysteria thing is super relevant to that and the hysterical woman is absolutely you know something that's Mm -hmm. been used uh for ages um but histrionic um as i understand it is like a very specific cluster b that was made basically just to talk about women who are like slutty <laughs> it's like it just de- it describes and very
0: girly like hyper feminization is one of the traits yeah and it's like you're literally just describing like women like, like mm-hmm. a yeah yeah yeah
1: girl you know
3: yeah it's like somebody who um basically like uses their Likes appearance attention. to get attention <laughs> yeah. um and is flirty so yeah it's flirty yeah it's it's honestly like (laughs) like if you actually read what histrionic is supposed to be it's like what like the like you've pathologized it's just it's really wild right and it's it's so clearly sexist like you're not gonna you're not gonna label a man histrionic ever Um, (laughs) it's, it's just ridiculous so yeah yeah
0: yeah i just um yeah I was just very appalled and I like I said I, I went through the trial you know I caught up but I went through in chronological order and definitely for me too Dr. Curry's testimony was when I was like wait a minute like mm, what yeah is happening here yeah. because I was like this is the oldest playbook in the world you know is is yeah you say and I Like, to be clear, that this is the worst part is that people with personality disorders are so maligned, Mm. even by mental health care professionals. So for her to be playing into that is just absolutely disgusting professionally. Mm. And on top of that, yeah, it's this way, like, even if um, Amber is BPD, it doesn't mean she's lying.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and and it's just also the contradictions in the case are endless so it's like she's you know we see this over and over like she's a gold digger and she wanted to leech off of him but she married him to forward her career so she wanted to work you know it's like mm-hmm. all of these contradictions and i feel like the the whole bpd thing was part of that of like she must be lying because um of all of these things but then when you're like, well, she has evidence and then people are like, oh, well, it was a scheme. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. So it's like, is
0: she hysterically reacting to him and in, in saying this because he left her or was this a scheme the whole time to ruin him and get his money? Like, what is it? Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah. it doesn't matter. It was it was like throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. It basically like mm-hmm. I'm literally surprised someone didn't ask her what she was wearing mm-hmm. during these events because they basically Mm -hmm. used every other victim blaming trope in the book including Mm -hmm. this ableist approach of like oh she's crazy so you can't Mm -hmm. you know you can't trust anything she says
3: but also it's like yeah so they brought in dr curry who did like a few you know talks with amber or whatever and looked at whatever you know some documents um but meanwhile, like Amber had been seeing psychologists and psychiatrists for years and years and years mm. who had never, ever diagnosed her mm-hmm. with with borderline. So do you think that like those practitioners would probably know their client that they've been seeing over years and years and years more than this person that was brought in to talk to her a couple of times and make an assessment for the court who was hired by Johnny's legal team? Mm. <laughs> like, OK, Um mm. But it's just interesting that, like, yeah, even if that were true, nobody is like, okay, so that actually explains. Because if you're borderline, um, like, you have a higher pro- pro- proclivity for being abused as well. Mm-hmm. And nobody exactly. brought that up. Like, nobody mm-hmm. brought up, like, oh, well, that could explain why she stayed in this ab- abusive dynamic and and couldn't bring herself to leave because it was so triggering.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that just speaks so much to how ridiculous the evidence that was used in this trial was, because there are just so many professionals when you look at the UK transcript of the court case that showed that that had documentation where that where they wrote down okay. that johnny was abusive that johnny had been in sessions with them and even one of them where johnny had literally been violent towards Amber but within one of the sessions, and none of that was brought in. And yeah, like you said, years and years of um, therapy, couples, therapists, etc. And how many of them were brought in the only one that was brought in was the one that so happened to think that it was mutually abusive, and that happened to say that, Um, she didn't think that Amber was abused but what about all the other ones that actually had um, found that Johnny was abusive and like the majority of the other counsellors that had or all of the other counsellors that had said that it was that Johnny was abusive so uh, like in what how did it happen that all of these people were not allowed to be used in trial but like you said meanwhile this psychologist that like Dr. Curry was allowed in, who barely had any knowledge at all. Like, so I think this just speaks to one how fucked the criminal justice system is, but also, like people taking this case as um, like evidence and whatever like we need to have critical thinking of the mm. fact that actually like like look at how biased this is and look at what isn't being included and it's so funny to me that people are saying oh anyone who believes amber has no critical thinking skills um you're just like following the crowd i'm like excuse me <laughs>
0: like the <What>
1: crowd, crowd? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like, where are, are they because i'd love to
0: hang out with them yeah to be <laughs> yeah. Part <of> the
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. like yeah. how can you possibly think that we are the ones that are being
0: sheep in in this
2: situation I and mean, it's just unbelievable to me um yeah like how much evidence is not being allowed and even the way that audio clips have been used in the trial completely out of context and it's like um surely we need to hear like that those lines before um, even like the, there's an audio where Amber is saying, Oh, I, like, I thought you were going to kill me. And was saying, she was apologizing I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to kill me. That's why I, blah, blah, blah. Um, like, that's why I called the police or that's why my friend called the police. And it's like, like why isn't that being used like that's very, and like Johnny doesn't deny that that in that message actually he responds with oh um yeah but I lost a finger and I think that's also very telling because it's like why would you, your partner is saying to you I thought you were going to kill me and you're responding with oh I lost a finger that you cut off yourself like <laughs> I just I just oh mm. I, I can't <laughs> I know Yeah, that's a great
3: point, Re like all the evidence that was not allowed in and like how Mm -hmm. ridiculous that was. Like
0: medical records she had of her injuries and evidence of like that time that she said she thought he broke her nose. And this goes hand in hand, too, with a lot of her lies. So a Mm -hmm. lot of her testimony is twisted and then people say it's a lie. So that that's a good example. She it was the headbutting incident, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, where he headbutted her. And she said in her testimony, it hurts so bad. It hurts so much worse than anything that had happened before. I thought, is this what a broken nose feels like?
1: And then people
0: online are like, she thought she broke her nose. This is what a broken nose looks like. And blah, blah, and just picking apart her testimony as if she said, he broke my nose, period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not what she said at all. She said, I, I was laying there wondering, is this what a broken nose feels like? Mm-hmm. Anyway, she has she actually has medical records of um, getting her nose looked at and there's scar tissue built up in her nose from repeated injury. Mm. But she wasn't allowed to bring that into evidence. Mm-hmm.
3: So it's like, oh, where are her medical records? Why doesn't she have them? And it's like,
1: she does. She
0: does. Mm. <laughs> she does have them. Yeah. Um. There was stuff that wasn't allowed in. That was literally by people who testified in the trial. Dr. Kipper and Nurse Joyce both have notes. Of them supporting Amber's testimony that they were not allowed to testify to. So if you watch their testimony, you'll see they constantly say, I don't recall. I don't recall.
1: Mm. A
0: lot of those I don't recalls are parts where they're legally not allowed to say what happened, Mm. Um, even though it's in their notes. And even though they definitely reviewed their notes for the case and they do recall, they can't say what happened. So they're instructed Mm. to say, I don't recall. Um. And I just want to point out this is another like place of hypocrisy among the deaf supporters, because a lot of Amber Heard supporters will try to point this out like she had a ton of evidence that wasn't allowed in and they'll say well if she did then it wasn't good evidence like there's a reason that Mm -hmm. the judge didn't allow it in but then in the same breath they'll be like oh johnny wasn't allowed to get all his evidence in in the uk and this Mm -hmm. is why he needed this trial so he could like bring all this evidence here and it's like Mm -hmm. so like what is you know like which is it Mm -hmm. um are people leaving evidence out because it's not good enough are people like leaving evidence out because there's a clear bias, you know, Mm -hmm. or maybe like just looking at the pattern of like, what was not allowed in on her side. Again, all of it was not allowed. If I remember correctly, when Rottenborn went through the list, all of it was not allowed in because of hearsay.
3: Yeah. The hearsay shit. (laughs) (laughs) I never
0: want to hear the phrase hearsay again. I Uh. I am traumatized, but The hearsay rule was applied very um, prejudicially, I guess we could say. Like, it was not applied consistently, first of all. The interpretation of it was very bizarre. Mm -hmm. So even with all those things taken into account, even if I'm going to play by the judge's rules of what the hearsay rule is... The testimony specifically of Dr. Kipper and Nurse Joyce does not make any fucking sense because the hearsay rule is supposed to be you're not allowed to introduce evidence. So you're not allowed to introduce something as truth into a case that can't be corroborated by like a Mm cross-examination. So I can't say... I know this person killed this person because my friend told me and my friend's not going to be testifying in this trial.
1: Right. Yeah, I yeah, can't
0: yeah. introduce that as fact from that. Often mm-hmm. what you can do is you can say, Oh, I heard Like I took this course of action because I heard this from someone. If you're not introducing it as evidence, you're just explaining like what you're, why you took actions you took or whatever. That's why mm-hmm. it was crazy when, you know, Either Johnny or Amber would be like, you know, I was, I, uh, my lawyer told me to bump up and they'd be like, hearsay. And it's like, well, they're not introducing that as evidence. They're just explaining yeah. like what they were canceled, counseled mm-hmm. to do. Right. Anyway, so the, um, the Dr. Kipper and Nurse Joyce evidence doesn't make any fucking sense to be excluded on Amber's side because they both testified. So they mm-hmm. were cross examined. Mm-hmm. And also, any, some of this stuff was um, observation, so it wasn't hearsay anyway. Mm-hmm. And then anything that was uh, maybe told to them by Amber, Amber also testified and was cross-examined. So they're just like, it made no sense for that stuff to be excluded. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I feel like there's just a very clear bias on the judge's part that will obviously be determined on appeal. Don't sue me. I'm not a lawyer. But like... <laughs> It just when you look at these things, you can just see that Amber had the odds stacked against her. And even then, when you look at someone like that, um, marriage counselor that you brought up, Catherine, was Johnny's witness. And even as Johnny's witness, she did testify to mutual abuse. And she did testify to witnessing Amber having bruises on her face.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know what I mean? Like that's that's like the best witness he had was someone Mm -hmm. that did confirm that there was abuse and that right. she saw signs of the abuse.
3: Yeah. And, and the still seal. people they- are
0: like, Amber's a
3: fucking liar. And it's like Johnny's own witness fucking confirmed mm-hmm. seeing yeah. these things. And again, they only needed to prove one incidence of abuse mm-hmm. for this ridiculous op-ed deprivation ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. And there it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> his witness. His exactly. witness said it. Yeah. Good God. <laughs> Uh, and it's
2: yeah. really interesting to me as well that like there are no conversations that come out of this about questioning the criminal justice system. There's no conversations about um, maybe this is an, un, an ineffective way to have justice, or maybe this is not yeah. a very effective way to do like any like maybe this how this should work and uh, maybe this is not good for the victim or the abuser and is this actually leading to accountability on either side clearly not etc like none of these questions are being asked instead it's all Amber is a liar Amber is a psychopath and like really those are the conversations that come out of this like there's so many other conversations that are much more productive and much more important that could come out of this situation but they they're not the ones that are being had, being had in this situation, which I think is, um, yeah, just unbelievable. And to your point, Maxie, about the only needing to approve one item of abuse, I think that was what was really terrifying to me about in the when they both gave the the closing statements at the end. As I mentioned in the video, I did he, the Johnny's side's closing statement was all about how you're tarnishing a good man's name by by. Uh, like accusing him by making him lose this defamation trial you can't possibly you can't possibly ruin a good man's name do you want that to happen to this man whereas um amber's clothing Amber's team's clothing statement was like look you're going to send a message to victims all across the globe that no matter how much in how much evidence you have it's not enough that if you do speak up, if you do uh, not remain silent, you're going to be labeled a psychopath and a liar, et cetera, And listing all these things of what the mess, the harmful messages you're giving to victims are by um, making, by suing Amber on this. And still the jury was clearly thought that it would be a far worse thing to rule against Johnny, um, sorry, against Amber like in their minds it would be far worse to have johnny potentially be tarnished than to admit that there was at least one item of abuse one instance of abuse on johnny's side because like clearly i don't know to me it just spoke to how little care there is for victims and how little that even registers in people's minds that that is something to consider um because clearly tarnishing someone's name is like a hundred times worse and i'm not saying that any time there is a court case you need to listen to a closing statement and which one could be worse is like what you should listen to obviously it has to be also about the evidence regardless of the implications blah blah, blah. but
0: like I don't know Well, but the closing statement is a summary of the evidence that was presented yeah so yeah. I think it does make sense in and I agree not to base your entire opinion of the case on that but It's a good it's a good summation of what did we do in this trial. And I think it's very telling that the only thing that they had to prove their case, the only thing they felt that they had provided enough evidence for was that Camille literally said, one of Johnny's lawyers, the worst thing you can do to a human is tarnish their reputation or person or whatever. Mm-hmm. She said it's the worst thing you can do to another mm-hmm. person.
1: And not I was like, up, is not
0: it? Rape them with a bottle. <laughs> right. Not, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Right. And the only time I, I do agree that um, tarnishing someone's reputation is extremely violent when it's not true. Right. Like I think what happened to Amber was extremely violent. Her reputation was tarnished her name Mm -hmm. was tarnished. She's going to be amber turd for the rest of her life Mm -hmm. to a large chunk of the population. Like that is humiliating and cruel and awful. Mm -hmm. But I think it's only something that happens when it's an extension of already occurring abuse, you know, and people have this idea that women can just pop out of the woodwork and like, tarnish a reputation out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And that's violent. And that's not how it works.
1: Mm -hmm. You know,
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking to what you were talking about, Catherine, about like the jury and, um, you know, their decision. I also think uh, how could they not have been influenced day in, day out, legions of of Johnny fans outside of the courtroom? Mm -hmm. See when, you know, when Amber leaves, when whoever leaves, right, they know that um, they're being booed, they're being harassed, they're being followed home like, I don't know, how could you go in there and not be worried for your safety? Like, imagine thinking that you're going to come out there, um, you know, rule against Johnny Depp, and then walk out into Mm. these legions of people. And what are they going to do to you? You know what I mean? Mm. Um, Because of course, they were instructed not to look at what was going on with the trial, but none of them were sequestered. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I find it very hard to believe uh, that none of them, you know, opened their phone or uh, spoke to anyone, you know, that entire time they weren't sequestered. And if they had any inkling of the harassment that people were getting, I mean, I mean, they just saw it outside the courtroom with all those, those fans there, which is obviously why Johnny televised this and like had this so public. Um, Yeah. Are you really going to, like are you really gonna stand with amber and then walk out and meet all these these people um you know that these people are gonna like look up your name your address you know come harass you um Mm -hmm. you know
1: yeah
3: yeah
1: absolutely
2: um yeah well I guess we could also talk about the impacts this is having on the queer community um I don't know if either of you want to talk about get started or I can get started if not
0: you can kick it off
2: okay (laughs) um yeah so i guess there are just so many harmful misleading tropes that have been used against amber throughout this trial um about bisexual people in general um the first one like a lot of it is is suggesting that because amber is bisexual it means that she's less trustworthy she's more likely to cheat she's More likely to be manipulative, she's less likely to be able to sustain a monogamous relationship, she's less likely to be able to be a good partner, uh, less likely to sexually be able to give Johnny what he needs, which would justify his like violence and anger. Um, a lot of people, some people are even suggesting that because of Amber's bisexuality, um, well, saying that she's not even bisexual, that she's a lesbian, but because of her her seduction because of her desire to concoct this plan to tear down Johnny and apparently get money for it that makes her um like she's lying about um being interested in men at all which again is playing into that classic trope that bisexual people aren't actually bisexual they just need to pick a side or they're just confused or whatever um which is also, um, deeply harmful. And then as we, I think we touched on in this talk or in, um, the Total Liberation podcast, bisexual people are actually much more likely to be, um, so victims of interpersonal violence or like domestic violence because, um, like their bisexuality is often used against them. And we saw that Dr. Hughes even testified about that, that it was a, way in which johnny would constantly be extra possessive extra controlling because um amber wasn't even allowed near her female friends it wasn't even allowed that a woman could like slightly rest her shoulder or hug um amber which again is another isolating tactic to to like yeah isolate her from all the people around her and it makes sense to me that an abuser might um subconsciously or deliberately seek out someone who's bisexual because they could use that as a weapon against them to isolate them even further, because it's much harder to isolate a straight person from their female friends, because you don't have as much ammunition against them. But someone who's bisexual, you could easily sit like, accuse them of um, flirting or try and lead someone on, etc, etc. And yeah, and and it's also a way for like, a man or like the partner to be extra, extra jealous, extra um, suspicious, like insecure, etc. Um, if the like, yeah, there are more options for people that they could potentially be attracted to. And yeah, we the fact that all these tropes were continuously rehearsed throughout the court case and on social media, it's like really deeply harmful for like bisexual people, queer people in general, because they get the message that if they go to testify if they are in court or if they speak up people are going to use their sexuality or their gender against them as a weapon to silence them and say well um the fact that you're you have sexuality or that you this gender whatever means that you're less trustworthy or you're seductress or whatever else it could be um so yeah
3: yeah because we saw his jealousy because we know that um he has a, has a pattern of being an extremely jealous and controlling person in relationships. And we saw that just go to the extreme. Um, I don't even know if we really impressed this upon people enough, just how much he would accuse her all the time of flirting Um Just anything, like just even speaking to somebody in a way like, you know, oh, you want that person, you want to fuck them, you want this, you want that, go on, go on, go on, you know, like just like goading her all the time, um, just escalating these situations that never needed to be escalated. um, And that is just like crazy making, you know, if someone's just constantly like I did it a very jealous person (laughs) one time, and it was just like, oh, my God, you know, I just could not. Um, we could not have a conversation without it just going in, into this fight because it was just, you know, um, yeah, basically it was like any man that I was around was just like, you know, that's not okay. You can't be alone with other men, you know, just all this ridiculous stuff. And then for him, it was like, you can't be alone with anyone. <laughs> you can't be anywhere with anyone other than me because, you know, you could be sleeping with them or you want them or you you did this and you're you're doing that just constant 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 um and i remember um one of the incidents they were on a plane together and she had reluctantly agreed to take mdma with him and then he offered it to the hmm. flight attendant for some reason um he pushed and, it on her yeah and then so and then the flight attendant um was just i guess like talking to amber or like sitting close to amber or like i don't know maybe like leaning on her or whatever and then he flipped out like was reaming out the flight attendant what are you doing you're coming on to her whatever and then after that it was like amber like you brought this on you were um you know you were acting in a way that would make her think that you were available to her you were you know you brought this on basically all the time so yeah i mean like it's again like by the way if a very attractive
0: rich couple Wants me to take MDMA with them. I'm thinking we're having a threesome. <laughs> yeah. So I feel so bad for that flight attendant on multiple levels, but especially mm-hmm. on that level because I'd be like, okay, like obviously those are the vibes <laughs> that we're getting here. Is that this, yeah. this couple maybe wants to get you know like have a have a fun time together, and yeah, just to be like holy shit this guy is gonna break my fucking wrist because i'm snuggling you know like yeah we just we just took like a touchy drug like why wouldn't mm-hmm. we be touching each other you know mm-hmm. anyway
3: and she wasn't was not even was just like leading like it yeah. wasn't even like it was nothing so anyway yeah i also
2: think it's um yeah so telling that how forceful he was about this woman taking the drug because yes i, think I was gonna s- say that we've all been in this situation where we've been at work and you know someone like that you're working with is like being overly persistent about oh like oh why don't you come out with us later on come on it'll be fun or like you're at a bar like serving someone drinks oh come on like why don't you have like a shot of vodka or whatever I don't know these situations and especially in that kind of situation where you're employed by those by this extremely powerful rich man it's so difficult to say no in that situation even if you really want to and especially if they've like really persistently offering it to you and then so who knows if she actually even wanted to take that at all um she just probably thought oh it's part of my job i'm gonna have to because he really wants me to and so it's so fucked. And like she could have lost her job she could have been completely unemployable at all like in her job like um for the foreseeable future for the rest of her life i don't know um because of his rage towards her, because if their employers found out that she took those drugs um in that occasion, so like that's it's extremely irresponsible, and also I also think it's really telling that in that incident um when Amber testified, I thought it was really heartbreaking that she mentioned that oh I took um MDMA because I. I thought you know I didn't always want to be like the nagging girlfriend that he mm-hmm. said that I was I didn't always want to be like the boring one so I thought like yeah MDMA is fine like it's not um like that that big of a deal it's like not like one of the other I've never had anyone be violent on MDMA so it should be fine etc and mm-hmm. then one that's like used against sex it's like why would you take him why would you take drugs with someone who you say is like an addict like what's wrong with you so you can't possibly be a victim because why would you do that um, but also, it's just heartbreaking because it speaks to this thing of anyone who, or especially women in relationships with men, are constantly called nagging, are constantly called um, boring for like their va- very valued concerns about the other person's behavior, and yeah, that can often lead you to do things that you otherwise wouldn't want to, whether it's like having certain sex that you don't want to have or taking drugs that you don't necessarily want to do, or, you know, trying to do something to placate them or try and do something to like, off, to not try and be perceived as this boring nagging person when really what is your boring naggingness is you self-protecting yourself or like drawing attention and to that. very, yeah. And drawing attention to very like valid concerns you have about their behavior. So, um yeah, I just thought that was like really telling. It is.
0: And just to clarify, um, because I saw David's comment, this was on his private jet. So it just adds like another layer to how much power he had in this situation. Cause David said, you know, abusing a flight attendant should be grounds for like a ban from flying on that airline. But it's like it's his plane. Like he just mm-hmm. I I don't know if people can like perceive in general, not saying this to anyone in particular, but like I don't know if people can perceive how much control he has over every aspect of his life. He flies Mm -hmm. on a private jet. He owns like 14 properties or something. He owns an Island. He has his security with him at all times and pays them an outrageous amount of money. Uh, The guy, Jerry that was brought up who passed away. um, He was brought up several times in the trial He was making $10,000 a day,
3: a day, a day.
0: day. Like I heard, and I don't know how to verify this, but you know, Johnny's previous business manager said his cost of living is $2 million a month. I don't think people can understand what that feels and looks like. And this is what Amber was dealing with. So it also bothers me when people are like, Oh, these are two rich celebrities. Who cares? You know, like, they're both wealthy and they'll, they're white and they'll be fine. And I can understand the sentiment. But Amber, you know, yeah, she made, like, a million dollars for Aquaman 1 or whatever. But, like, they're just, like, I don't think people can understand that, like, she was so overpowered in this situation mm-hmm.
1: by Johnny's
0: wealth and Johnny's control. She talked about things like, um, he, like he would take her phone. He didn't allow her to have a passcode for her phone. And then he would just take her phone. That's why you heard so much testimony about um, her phone being repeatedly broken because when he would get mad at her, he would break her phone. And then she wasn't allowed to leave because he only let her use his driver. So she couldn't go anywhere to get a new phone unless the driver was cleared to drive her somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um And, you know, or she could get one of the assistants to get her new phone. So she talked about having periods of time where she didn't even have a phone. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, yes, this is a wealthy white woman. And I get it. You know, we don't want to have too much sympathy nowadays for someone in that position. But I think the importance here is to just understand how abusers work and how abusive dynamics work. It's not even about, like, whether or not you have sympathy or empathy for Amber. It's about understanding that this is the type of person who has been vilified by everyone because, and, like, has gone through this experience that I don't think most people can even wrap their heads around. Um, another thing that really, like, chilled me to the bone from what came out in court was that Johnny had these medical professionals on his payroll and they would be around all the time and he forced Amber to use them as her medical professionals mm-hmm. as well and there's actually email evidence that he was yelling at them for not drugging her enough to keep her under control mm-hmm. so she would be sedated against her will against her will or under an extreme pressure from them To be sedated whenever they would have a fight and she would be upset afterwards or if a fight was starting to escalate i don't think people can and then that's another reason why them uh making fun of her or like the johnny's lawyers going after her for not having enough medical evidence is so cruel because the she wasn't allowed to go seek medical care outside of the two people the people that johnny paid to be there to literally, in the email, it says, like, keep her under control. Um, Some don't, like, quote me, I'm paraphrasing in some way, but, um, you know, he says, like, you're not doing a good job, like, she is not being, she's, like, giving me problems, and you're not doing a good job with her. Mm -hmm. So this is, like, people have to understand, she spent this entire relationship with security guards being there almost all of the time, and the security guards would watch this shit happen because Johnny's their client. And not only is it on them to keep him physically safe, but it's also on them to help protect his image. So can you imagine having a fight with your spouse and there's two giant men who are being paid like a hundred thousand dollars a month or something just outrageous to protect this guy? What do you think is gonna happen? You know, like what just just even without anything happening, what is the environment of that situation? What is your day to day life like when that's your lived experience? Mm-hmm. So I think people have to understand what she was dealing with and why. Yes, she's wealthy, beautiful, white. She's very privileged. She's not wealthy anymore, though, by the way. Um but like, th- this is why it matters, because this happens to a lot of people and understanding the dynamics of this and the nuances of it, even if someone doesn't have his level of resources, these tactics are used by a lot of fucking people to control their their victims. And it's really important for us to understand that.
2: Yeah, I, I just want to say, to to me, the point that really um, reinforced that was when the friend of Amber's testified about the time that he, I can't remember his name, but he basically was in a room and then Johnny walked in really angrily and said something to him and was like running at him or something like that. And then someone asked him, well, what did you do in that situation? And his response was, well, um, if there's uh, like, he'd left obviously. And he said, well, what would I, I I'm not an idiot. Like, there's Johnny there and then two security guards behind him I know that I'm not going to win this fight um and I was like wow like can you imagine how many times that would have happened for for Amber as well like like when she testified about being on the airplane that time and then Johnny kicked her and things like that which is like corroborated by actual texts afterwards that show that um from Johnny's assistant that show that Johnny did kick Amber uh, then like all these like security guards, all these employees that's there, they're witnessing it. And she's like actually just feeling embarrassment. And like, that's also very relatable to like actually having a sense of embarrassment about the abuse that you're receiving. Um, but yeah, imagine all that happening and none, all these people enabling that person, no one doing anything, no one like, like standing up to them. And, um, yeah, like just how terrifying because who knows what they could also do to her. And it, it would be completely yeah permissible I don't know I just can't imagine it it just would be absolutely insane yeah. yeah
0: yeah it's hard to like fathom being in that environment and it struck me too that one of the things that was used against her um I think maybe two different people on Johnny's side testified that she Amber supposedly um belittled them Or yelled at them and were kind of like, How dare you talk to me? Whatever, like made fun of their career choice. Um, But one of, you know, it, to me, it made sense though, because these people were always texting her and like trying to wrangle her after these events would happen, after they had done nothing to protect her. Mm. And then, they would go up, you know, like, I think what happened in one of these instances is the guy went up to be like, oh, basically, like, don't be mad at Johnny, he can't help it. And I think she was like, get the fuck out of my face. Like, don't tell me how to feel about what just happened, especially Mm -hmm. after you didn't even help me. Mm -hmm. So it's like this stuff of like, it actually makes a lot of sense why she would lash out at someone or say something is being used to make her look like a Karen, Mm -hmm. basically, right? Um, but it makes a lot of sense. And the other person who said that I remember was his security guard, who described him tearing apart her dressing room as him reorganizing her closet. Mm. Um, he he said that she was like berating him like a oh, real nice career choice that you've made. And it's like, out, of, you know, and this is also just hearsay, who knows if she actually said that, but like out of context, sure, that does sound bad. And that does sound pretty privileged. And Nasty, but in context, if you're like, this guy is threatening my life, Mm -hmm. you know, he's abusing me physically, and now he just tore up my fucking property, Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: your job is to protect him, Mm -hmm. doesn't it make sense that you might, in a bit of frustration, say something like, real nice career choice you've made?
1: Mm -hmm. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? I don't think
0: she was demeaning his line of work in the sense of like, plus, let's also remember this guy's making an insane amount of money every month
1: yeah. he's, he's more than her
0: <laughs> right more than her
1: but
0: but on top so it's not like a class thing it's it's a victim saying you are literally I mean these these security guys I just can't get past like him having these security guards because they're literally witnessing this stuff and they're standing by and their job is to jump in if she tries to defend herself mm. mm-hmm. You know, and so, yeah, for her to turn around and be like real nice career choice you've made makes sense to me. Mm, and, yeah, yeah. you know, is something that I probably would also say. So it's just all of this stuff that if you have the context for how these things happen actually mm. makes a lot of sense. And again, bolsters her version of events. But out of context, of course, like any of us say things all the time that can be used to sound bad. It happens to us as content creators. How often do we get comments of someone being like zeroing in on like one word we said in two hours mm-hmm. of unscripted streaming and being like, you know, just reading into it.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's like, yeah, you can do that to anyone over anything. And a lot of stuff is nuanced. And you're also not just going to be your best self when you're in a situation like that.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like read the security guards and stuff. Um, Nikki actually sent this, um through it's from the uk um evidence Mm. but it's josh drew's deposition um where he got a call from jerry judge saying that the boss lost his cell phone do you have it um and josh said yeah i have it it's in my hand um and jerry came to get it um and josh said you can come back to get it but you don't fucking set foot in this building i will meet you outside um, and then uh, jerry asked him is she okay and josh was are you fucking kidding he beat shit out of her again and you guys stood by and watched it and mm-hmm. jerry Judge responded it's not my business it's between husband and wife he barely touched her
0: <laughs> yeah 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 that's what she was dealing
3: with <clears throat> those are the yeah. people
0: that were around all the time paid yeah. Because that was the punching incident, the one incident that she admits to actually punching Johnny first of all was in in defense of her sister. Mm-hmm. She was also actively being attacked at the time. But when she got him, uh the testimony of the security guard was that he turned around and said this is your fault. This shouldn't mm-hmm. have happened to the security guard. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's nuts. She was yeah. he She, he was like attacking her sister and Mm -hmm. she punched him to get him away from her. Mm -hmm. Mm. And the security guard's job was to make sure that she didn't punch him. Yeah. But not to intervene on anything else that was happening.
1: Mm.
3: Yeah. Unbelievable.
2: Disgusting. Um, I also think um, someone in the chat made a great point about. Yeah,
0: there's been a lot of good points. I've been. Yeah. Like how it's
2: unbelievable that johnny is able like they're able to come on on here talk about the mass amounts of drugs that they do meanwhile there are people locked up for like a small bit of weed that they they had and that's what um i think i said in one voice message to both of you like (laughs) i don't understand this system in the u.s Mm -hmm. where like there are like people being locked up for life for possession, for drug, for weed possession of all things, which is like legalized in in um, some places in Europe, and and um, like why? Yeah, people are. I I just don't understand. And then these these people can like openly talk about all this stuff that they do, and like that isn't used against them. But yeah, again, it's just like yeah, rich people can get away with anything. But like no one mm. is really raising an eyebrow about that, or like white people can get away with anything.
0: It's like. Ugh. It's very true. (laughs) Yeah, It's very, very true.
3: Yeah. Someone in the chat said, Depp was never disadvantaged, though. I'm from Serbia. And while he was, quote unquote, canceled, he met with our politicians, president, gave him a medal of honor, and even considered buying a mansion next to uh, Dokovic. I don't know how to pronounce that, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, that's Um,
0: that's the thing is like Johnny, just like all of these other guys, none of these Me Too guys have been actually canceled or have Mm -hmm. actually had long-term like permanent things happen to them.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Celeste, thank you, asked about the video I'm making. Yes, um, the video is supposed to be a resource that will give A lot of context for things that happened around the case. Like I'm really going to talk about Adam Waldman, who's Johnny's lawyer, who orchestrated the whole campaign against her because he actually has ties to Russia. And I think the whole thing is fascinating. Um, And I will have a detail a timeline of the case with details and try to just I'm going to try to focus in just on hard evidence. So not testimony, but stuff that's been proven through like text messages, pictures, emails, things like that. Um, Because even with just that, there's so much that, you know, proves Amber's case. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought uh, we had one from David said, I'm talking about histrionic so saying histrionic comes from a word meaning actor, so like overdramatic, whereas hysteria, which is from uterus, which mm-hmm. is correct. But if I remember from doing research about histrionic, it is uh, like an evolution of hysteria. So I do think there's a connection between the two diagnoses, even if you're you're right the etymology isn't actually from the same root word. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. And, oh, Celeste had a really good question from earlier. So uh, they asked, do conservatives like Manson, will they be willing to help him? So one of the things I turned up in my research yesterday as well was um, Donald Trump Jr. (laughs) tweeted an anti-Amber tweet saying, uh, basically, I think he said something like, um, You can tell what quality of woman Amber is by, like, the men that didn't show up to testify. Like, no good man of standing showed up to testify on her behalf, which was interesting. And then I guess he got dragged by everyone because he has, in the past, made a ton of anti-Johnny Depp tweets, calling him, like, a left-wing spokesperson, (laughs) which is just funny. Conservatives, like... How many times have we all been called libs? And you're like, you literally don't even know what things are. Like, we are not libs. <laughs> they, like, don't know anything. So, yeah, I think Johnny's some left-wing spokesperson. But anyway, he had a series of tweets, and he actually was tweeting pro-Amber tweets, essentially saying that Johnny Depp was a wife beater, sharing articles about the abuse, and sharing the people the people cover with Amber's bruised face on it just, like, four years ago. But now, because this is being used by right-wingers to radicalize people, now he's, like, pro-Dep. Do you Mm. know what I'm saying? So that's my long-winded way of answering Celeste's question, is that I don't think it actually matters if conservatives like a person. If they see an opportunity to use this situation for their own means, then they will do so. I do think it will be let's say grotesquely or morbidly interesting to see what the right does with Manson, because he is so counter to everything they stand for. Um, I don't know how the, cause with Johnny, Johnny's like just a guy, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's like a rocker, he's an actor, but he's also just kind of a man that you can project things onto. Manson is more of, he does stand for something, right? Like he's embraced like satanic Imagery and he's embraced these things that are very anti-conservative, you know, quote unquote values. So it will be interesting to see what they do with this case, because I don't know how they're going to handle it. I think it'll be much harder for them to use him to their own ends. But at the same time, of course, they're going to want him to win his case. You know, they're always going to want women to or victims in general to not be able to um, speak about what's happened to them Mm
1: -hmm. so
0: yeah we'll just have to wait and see but but i just wanted to make that point that it doesn't actually matter because johnny was not actually someone conservatives liked before this all happened and then they've just jumped on it to take advantage of the situation and that's all i've got over here
2: (laughs) (laughs) um well, I guess we could go to closing thoughts about everything unless anyone yeah. has anything else they want to
0: add. I mean, I could talk for six more hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I feel like we've done a good job. And uh, yeah, we can move to
1: close.
2: Yeah, um, I did want to say just before we finish that I I did wonder as well to what extent the, the cameras and how they were used would like affected people's perception of the case because i noticed that there would be so many moments where amber would be testifying about something terrible that johnny had done to her and then the camera would zoom in on johnny's face as if it were like oh look how much her words are hurting johnny whereas
3: most of the time he was just looking down pretending like he didn't wasn't hearing it like he wasn't showing like he was just kind of like acting like it, you know it wasn't even anything, so anyway,
1: yeah. sorry <laughs> we're, yeah we'
2: smirking
0: and giggling, yeah,
3: mm-hmm.
2: exactly. Um, and yeah, I just think it's really interesting that again that again, I don't know that's just one very small example of the way in which media shapes our perceptions and narratives around these things like that and of course the mass amounts of bots and the mass amount of right- wing propaganda and everything like that. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting. But, anyways, so yeah, I guess where do we go from here? How do we keep going against this machine? Um, How do we not get hoodwinked
0: by everyone else? Well, I just always say, (laughs) I know, I mean, who knows, but I always say to people, and like I also have to relearn this all the time, but anytime you see like a mass, frenzy around a topic and there's like one kind of very strong talking point or angle that everyone seems to agree on look into it (laughs) because it's almost definitely the opposite of what you're being told (laughs) and I honestly if if people did that for OJ if people did that for Lorena Bobbitt if people did that for Monica Lewinsky, and Britney Spears like all these people um even you know this is dating myself but even things like the um the frivolous uh, McDonald's coffee lawsuit. I don't know if you guys remember that, Mm -hmm. but there's, you know, that was the joke like everyone made a huge joke about that and then if you look into it it's actually pretty fucking devastating what happened to that woman Mm. and her lawsuit wasn't frivolous it was she was trying to make sure it never happened to someone else and she knew that she had to really go after McDonald's for them to change anything Mm. so you know she it actually was like in a way an act of activism and it was turned around to make her look greedy and frivolous Mm. Um, and speaking of frivolous lawsuits this defamation lawsuit is extremely frivolous this mm-hmm. should have never been approved this should have mm-hmm. never happened so it's also interesting to me who we call frivolous and who we don't because yeah. this is like a textbook case of a frivolous lawsuit mm-hmm. and yet i think because johnny is a man first of all and also because of his like status uh it won't be referred to that way but it is you know where's mm-hmm. this woman who got her fucking like flesh burned off by coffee from mcdonald's that's called frivolous. Mm -hmm. So I just, it's kind of like where there's smoke, there's fire sort of thing. Like when you Mm -hmm. see people churning away online about something, really look into it. And I don't want to say take the opposite stance, but like be very critical, you know, go into it and and try to like Mm -hmm. isolate yourself from the chatter as much as possible. And I would just also say like, I would never blame someone for being like, I don't have the spoons. I don't have like I don't want to be re-traumatized. Like, I don't want to look into this because I know it's something that's going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. So that is fine, you know, but just also in that case, try not to perpetuate anything. Try not to think that, you know, what it's about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, and also understand that like, it is okay for you to not want to look into it, but also that it's almost definitely important so to not um, that's not to say that you need to look into it, but it's to say that if someone else in your in your circle is looking at it and questioning it, support that, because it probably mm-hmm. is really important. That's how I feel like I've had these moments of like, I've I've literally spent like hundreds of hours at this point working on this video, going through all the trial footage I've on Reddit threads, Twitter threads and looking at like court documents, I spent so much time on it. And I've had this this these moments of like, are people going to judge me for spending so much time on this because they think it's like frivolous and it doesn't matter. But it does really matter. You know what I mean? It, it matters. Like, uh, hopefully we made that case today. It matters on so many different levels. And um, anytime <laughs> you see this kind of mass uh, piling on of a victim of something, it matters in a very systemic way. So it's mm-hmm. okay if you don't want to get involved. It's okay if you are not interested, that's fine, but just don't make other people in your sphere feel bad that they are interested in it. Because I've seen, especially, you know, I'm in the U.S., like Roe v. Wade probably being overturned. Uh, We've had, I think, three spree shootings in the last like month. You know, there's a lot going on and I've seen people trying to, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Shame other people for being interested in this trial. But to me, the more I look into this trial, the more it is actually connected to these other things. Like, I do think that this trial functioned to distract from these other issues we have in the US, like gun control and abortion laws. Um, So while I get it that you're like, well, don't feed into that then, at the same time, I think it's important to understand how this happened so that when the next thing happens, we can see the pattern. Because as we mentioned in the beginning, there are literally abusers and white nationalists and powerful men who are calling this a blueprint for how to move forward. So if someone doesn't do that analysis, so if someone doesn't do that autopsy on the situation, then we won- we'll just keep getting caught in these same patterns over and over. So that's mm-hmm. that's my thing is just, just look into it or support other people looking into it and just try to like listen to sources you trust and and keep the chatter out so you can make your own opinion. Cause it is hard when you see the whole world seems to be having the same opinion. It is very scary mm-hmm. to form mm-hmm. your own opinion. And it's scary to talk mm-hmm. about it, but I would say if you can, if you feel that you are able showing support for Amber, showing support for these victims is really important. We need to show that, you know, I think, You can dismiss one or two people, but once you start seeing it more and more, that can cause a lot of people to take a step back and be like, oh, wait, this is kind of weird. Like someone I really respect, you know, has a different opinion. Maybe I should actually look into this. Mm -hmm. It can make a big difference. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And um, since I know Hollywood's watching, I would like to say to all of the wealthy, powerful white male actors out there, where the fuck are you? Please speak up. that's what pisses me off the most is this whole campaign could have been uh brought down by the right people going public and just being unapologetic for their support in amber mm. and it didn't happen mm.
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah i think that it's just very telling because um
2: what we all like i guess what when <laughs> how do i word this when we think about what we would have done um during the suffragettes movement or during mm-hmm. the witch hunts or when rape was legal or when britney spears um everything was going down with her or Anita hill or monica Lewinsky, um yeah like whatever we think we would have done then that's what we're doing right now like there's no exactly. there's not that much difference between like the witch trials back then and the witch trials now and um yeah and we at the same time as we're seeing these people reevaluated, evaluated we're also seeing the exact same like when i talk about being reevaluated, i mean like britney spears me Hill, etc we're like all apologizing for how we treated them but then we're doing the exact same thing again now so it's like yeah. We need to see, or like, be aware of how these patterns are happening. And also, like, let's not reevaluate some, but then do exactly the same now. And, like, l- let's look at ourselves and think, like, yeah, we like, we would like to think we would have been the heroes of the past. We would like to think that we wouldn't have followed the mob. We would like to think that we would have been the ones on the side of justice. But all that we thought that we would do back then is exactly the things like we're doing right now. So I, yeah, I, I think, I think it's also, so easy to believe that we've come so far when it comes to issues to do with feminism and in many ways that we have but I think like the same issues are still persisting they might just be more subtle they might be more hidden away they might be less easy to detect they've become more like insidious and um, ingrained to our culture like not necessarily as visible more invisibilized but like they're still very much there and I think that we shouldn't just think that um, yeah the issue is solved and like everything is fine now and then like not do anything about it and also I want to say I guess that just as I had to look at myself and look at my how my trauma
3: <laughs> she was silenced by <laughs> the internet. Oh, um, well, until she gets back to you.
0: Until she gets
3: back, yeah. So I don't have that much more to add. I think um I just I really do believe that this is just the beginning. Like we have Manson, we have Kyle Rittenhouse. Like I, um, I really do think Brad like Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt.
0: Uh huh. He's suing Angelina for. um Giving his wine company, of, like saying bad things about his wine company. Wow. Yeah,
3: yeah. This is this is just the beginning, um, and I feel like that's one of the big reasons why this matters, and it and it really matters that like this was such a de- deception, <laughs> um, because yeah, if people don't understand this, if people don't understand the the systemic forces at play um, that make you know, media circuses like this, that silence victims and and all the rest, then, um, they're just going to treat every case as, as like a, he said, she said kind of thing. Um, and really just not understand, you know, how, how these things work, right? Like how money power the internet group think, um, how these things operate. (sighs) And if we're not on the ball, then, um, as these things just keep coming in, keep coming in, come, Keep coming in. I mean, like, how? What are we gonna do, right? Um, so, I think, yeah, people need to be aware. People need to be understanding where we're at, understanding, um, you know, the importance of this cultural moment, um, and just not being taken in by just absolute bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, um, like bullshit rich white white dudes. Um, and uh, yeah, fuck Johnny Depp. That's this. <laughs> yeah, basically, what I have to say.
0: Yep. And I just want to say, like, a case of, you know, domestic violence is never entertaining. No. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's hard to resist. And I, I also got swept up into it because I was introduced to the case through a friend who was kind of in this, um, enjoying the trial as spectacle. So that's kind of how I approached it. And then quickly realized, like, oh, this is actually very serious so I think just like keeping that in mind in general will be helpful for us to stay out of the trap of of making something a spectacle mm-hmm. uh, my last thing I want to say it looks like Catherine may not be coming back so um, I want to say uh, there's a lot of cases coming up so Anthony Rapp is suing Kevin Spacey okay Catherine is coming back um, Mexi, if you need to drop I know it's been super long, so you
3: can,
0: yeah. you're welcome. Like I'm not kicking you out, but uh, yeah, I want yeah. make sure Catherine has her say. So if you want to drop.
3: Yeah, um, I might drop uh, and let okay. Catherine have her say. Yeah. But um, okay. I'll, I'll just hear what you have to say now.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, so I just want to, basically, I just want to say like support survivors. And there's actually a lot of opportunity to do that coming up. So if you are someone who's online or even in your personal conversations, um, Anthony Rapp, is suing Kevin Spacey for a sexual, um, I'm not sure what the wording is, um, some, some sexual contact basically when he was underage. Um, FKA Twigs is suing Shia LaBeouf for Mm. domestic violence. Um, this, this Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie thing is happening. So like, i feel like it's a huge mistake on his part because everyone knows his kids like can't stand him and have actually tried to like change their names to not have pit in their name so i don't know where he's going with that but you know support her um megan the stallion who got shot in the fucking foot and still was getting victim blamed for getting shot <laughs> um anyways, support her um, those are the ones I can remember off the top of my head, but uh you know, the, I think there's a good point to be made that the men too movement and the support of depth uh in terms of people saying that no one believes male victims. Mm-hmm. Specifically male victims of female abuse. Um, there's truth in that, right? Like that that definitely is something that is a mm-hmm. problem. It's not a problem that is caused by women. I will always say this. We may reinforce it, but the patriarchy is the reason that men are not believed when they come forward about abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, if you're going to support male victims, most male victims are the victims of male abusers as well. So you can't pick and choose, in my opinion, who you support. And so I think, you know, supporting, for instance, Kevin Spacey's victims is just as important as supporting anyone else. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would just say, you know, be aware that these cases are coming up. And again, if you're someone who's online and and likes to share their opinions online and, you know, kind of post about this type of stuff, these people could use your support and, you know, hopefully have a better outcome and a better experience than Amber did.
3: Yeah, I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens with the Kevin Spacey uh, Mm -hmm. case. Like if people are going to come to defend Kevin Spacey or if people are going to be like actually supporting his victims because his victims are men. And then people will be like, and it's always tough
0: because homophobia does play in. So like, Mm. I feel that gay abusers are not always protected as much as. Straight abusers, mm-hmm. um, which is like I obviously don't want an abuser to be a protected, but but it's mm-hmm. hard to say. Like I don't yeah. know. It's just very complicated. Is my point? Um, yeah, and yeah. that's that's what I saw a lot of online from the deaf supporters is that anytime you. Someone would try to, I was not engaging with them, but like anytime someone would try to bring up, you know, like, oh, you guys didn't support Michael Jackson's victims, you didn't support Kevin Spacey's victims, blah, blah. They're like, Mm -hmm. we're talking about victims of female abuse. And it's
1: like, (laughs) okay, okay, I get it. But like also, (laughs) you know, like, yeah,
0: now you're just cutting down to this tiny percentage of victims that are the only Uh people you're going to support. And Uh The bottom line is that if you don't support victims, you don't support victims. Like mm-hmm. all of the victim blaming that Amber got, went through, all of the quest- questions that she was asked, Kevin Spacey's lawyers are using very similar tactics in their um, ca- counterclaim or whatever people do. You know, their statements against the claim that Anthony Rapp is making um, are making very similar victim blaming statements. So it's like you can be obsessed with the gender dynamics of the two people you're talking about and try to make that mean something. But at the end of the day, victim blaming is victim blaming. And if you're not supporting all victims, then you're not supporting male victims of female abuse either. You're Mm -hmm. making things harder for them legally because whether or not you support them, those same tactics will be used against them in court, in police investigations and in the public eye. Mm
1: -hmm yeah
0: hi Catherine welcome back (laughs) Um, yeah and I just want to say as
2: well it's like how many of them actually genuinely care about male victims or how many of them just care about dismantling feminism (laughs) and destroying women Um, yeah and I also think that yeah the thing that I was going to say was I, I think we all just need to look at our own trauma and how that affects like our immediate reactions to these things because I definitely noticed how my trauma played into what I was going to think about this trial and I think the same can be said for everyone like we've all been um most of us have some sort of trauma (laughs) and like does that trauma lead us to have anger and hatred towards women does that trauma lead us to have empathy towards men does that trauma um lead us to want to victim blame etc 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 like we need to be doing some more of that like internal analysis um And even if we are victim, have been victims ourselves, it doesn't mean that we are like have more of an instinct to be able to understand these dynamics. As you said, Nick, it means that a lot of the time you are more able to, yeah, like less able to side with the victim. Um, Mm. And yeah, I think that it's just really important to do that work. (laughs) That's what I had to say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I agree with you. I think that's very important. And to end it on a positive note for anyone who cares, um Johnny Depp is has had a rise in negative public reaction. You know how people measure these things online. Apparently, after the trial, it's gone up pretty dramatically. Um So I think it's a culmination of things. But but. It is encouraging, at least, that Amber might get her redemption sooner rather than later. She may not have to wait a decade or more to have someone make a documentary about her and then have people be like, oh, shit, we were wrong. Um, I think part of that is the bots. You know, I, I mean, it's just proven that there were bots that were used. And obviously, now that the trial's over, that activity has gone down. And I think that's making more space for people to um, who have been supporting her to actually be seen for that content to come through. And, um, and I just think, you know, her losing and that weird, I mean, she didn't exactly lose, but that weird verdict that they got, I just think people are starting to be like, wait a minute, like what went on here Mm -hmm. and are looking more into it. Um, So that's kind of, Heartening, you know, like hope that is hard. I don't know. I don't know if he'll actually suffer any consequences, but all of these lawsuits, his his agent said that, his former agent said that, that these lawsuits are just killing him. And it's part of why people don't want to work with him. And so I think, you know, the UK lawsuit was not good. This lawsuit was not good. I mean, all of this evidence is out there. We've heard the texts and um, I think, yeah, there's people online who are super fans and there's bots and stuff, but I think when you look at the general public, I don't think the general public is as supportive of him as Twitter would make you think um so again, I don't know what's gonna happen, but this upcoming lawsuit with Greg Brooks, you know, I just it, it's just not a good look, and I think I think however long it takes, I think the mask is kind of off, and i see I don't see him being able to ever get back to a star who can demand 20 or 30 million for a movie and run a franchise. I just don't, I could be wrong, but um, I feel like, you know, at least there's that to look forward to (laughs) (laughs) at least like he's not as supported as he was. Um, And I, I do think, you know, that's why I'm, I'm trying to get this video done, even though I would love to take like another month to do even more research and get my thoughts together. But um, I think we're going to see a lot of content coming out in the next like couple months that are pro Amber. And I think there's going to be a whole backlash online of people being like, what the fuck, like, how did this happen? Um, So there's that. (laughs) We got that at least. And I just really (laughs) hope that that means Amber can get her career back on track sooner rather than later, because, um, you know, she should have a career. She wanted one. Mm She worked really fucking hard for it. You know, whatever privileges she have has, which she definitely does. She came from an extremely working class background and she worked her ass off and hustled to get where she was. And, you know, I think actors are overpaid. I think celebrities really dangerous, as evidenced by this case. But I do think she should be able to work um, and not be stigmatized forever just because she was in an abusive mar- marriage and decided to get out of it.
3: Mm-hmm. Well. Well said, everyone. <laughs> We've really uh, made a lot of content <laughs> about
0: this, which I think is great. Yes, we um, have. And uh, oh, I always going to say if you haven't seen it, watch Catherine's video. Yes. Um, yeah. I'll link that below right after we hang up here. Uh, it was very good. Listen to our podcast on total liberation. Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And subscribe to Pink Spots to listen to that video too. And yeah, yes. thank you so much for everyone for listening, for the commentary. It's been very therapeutic and cathartic. I feel like a big release of my what, was, what I was carrying on my chest has been released. So yeah. <laughs> thank you for that. I feel that
0: way too. It's like hard. I was telling the girls, I'm like, it's hard when you're autistic because sometimes your brain gets stuck on things that you don't want to be stuck on. And this case has been that for me. And I think for mm. all three of us is like, We just needed to make content to kind of like work through that. And um, hopefully now we can go live our lives again.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah.